with Mike and Jeff. Today we'll be covering the election update. We'll be talking about democratic policies and if they're anti-Christian, uh, the movie Transhood, and then finally our nerd topic, the Superman, Batman, Absolute Power comic book review. All right. Thank you, Mike, and thank you all for joining us. Mike, why don't you go ahead and get us kicked off today with uh, with our election, a quick election update, and then we'll jump into some of the Democrat policies, as you alluded to. Yeah, no problem. Um, so it's been another week, and we still don't know who is president of the United States of America. Um, there's been a few updates in Pennsylvania. Uh, well, there, there's a possibility that the GOP um, in charge of Pennsylvania will be deciding where the electoral college or where the electoral votes go. Uh, the reason being that in the Pennsylvania constitution, there's nothing in there that allows them to change the election laws um, without legislative approval. So all the, the laws that were changed quickly um, um, are, will, or could be invalidated, in which case uh, the, the election then moves to the, the congressional GOP, like I, uh, the, the GOP, the GOP controlled by Congress, as I stated. Um, there's a few lawsuits going on in Arizona. Um, haven't heard much about Michigan. Um, I know they've talked about there's been some anomalies, but there's, I think there's been nothing that's been proven and there's nothing that's been um, said under oath in court, just been a few meetings here and there. So nothing too new. Um, Jeff, have I missed anything? No, I don't think so. I think, I mean, uh, the only big thing that maybe you mentioned and I missed it, but um, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court has thrown out uh, the case, but it's already making its way to the Supreme Court now. So we know of one case, at least that's going up to the Supreme Court now. Pennsylvania, obviously being the most important state in this entire um, kind of situation, it's kind of the linchpin. If, if Pennsylvania shifts and then Georgia, Wisconsin, Arizona, any of them start to fall, then the election changes. Uh, Pennsylvania is the linchpin and that's the one that Trump seems to be the Trump legal team seems to be focused on for the right reasons. And it seems to be going in a direction where there is a strong likelihood at this point that we could see the Supreme court throwing out some ballots. Um, I read yesterday that there are 160,000, 160,000 ballots being challenged by the Trump legal team in the state of Pennsylvania, which is far more than the, uh, than the, the chasm between the two candidates. So there's, there's a, good likelihood, again, that the, this could um, go the direction you and I have been talking about it going for weeks. But other than that, I don't think there's much of an update. Yeah, but it's just like, uh, like you said, moving towards the Supreme Court, which we uh, talked about earlier that it needed to end up in for there to actually be any change. So we're, we're moving in that direction, but unfortunately not much of an update this week. Yep. All right. So let's jump into the Democrat policy, shall we? So mm-hmm. obviously quite a few um, liberal policies that are already being actively pushed without the candidate being in office, um, without the Senate being decided, without anything really getting through to Inauguration Day. We've already got some policies being uh, pushed and a lot of signaling on things that are going to be enacted. And there are a lot of different directions <laughs> we can go with this. But let's, I want to start with one that, that you and I have talked about before that I didn't like it when Barack Obama um, put it in place. Don't like the way the courts decided it. And that's DACA. We've already had Joe Biden come out and de- openly state that he is going to, in within hours of being inaugurated, 
create a immediate path to citizenship for 11 million illegal um, illegal immigrants in this country, the, the quote unquote dreamers. It was illegal when Barack Obama did it. It will be equally illegal when uh, Joe Biden does it. And it doesn't seem like there's anything that's going to be done to stop it if Joe Biden's elected. If he actually does get sworn in, it doesn't seem like anything's going to stop this at this point. Because even if the court steps in, how are you going to, st- you, you legally could strip people of their citizenship, but realistically, I don't see where it's going to go. Yeah, um, I'm not too sure. Um, that's why I was hoping that DACA would be taken down um, under the Trump administration before Biden got in. Um, and and it should have been, by the, it should have been if the Supreme happen. Court ever actually decided anything based on the merits of the Constitution. I agree, because the ruling that they, the reason that they didn't was due to like the, the timing of it, that like you couldn't do it as quickly as you could. But we've already talked about if something's illegal, there's no time frame where something illegal needs to be slowly phased away. Um, Christian Whitmore tried to do the same thing about her illegal um, executive orders or unconstitutional. Maybe illegal is not the... Illegal is accurate. Unconstitutional is therefore illegal. So I think both are accurate statements. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but the point, the reason I brought her up is because her executive orders were ruled unconstitutional. It's like, oh, let me get a few weeks to, to, to phase things out. Like you can't do that. It's it's like if uh, um, if you rule that um, illegal search and, illegal search and seizures were illegal, and then the cops were like, "All right, well, let's let's knock out these these last few. Let's crank these." I out. got a few more on the list, and then then I swear yeah. I'm done. Exactly. It's it, it's stupid things like that that, that really irritates me. Um, but yeah, DACA definitely shouldn't shouldn't be around. Um, I hope Biden doesn't get in because he shouldn't be making. Uh, we shouldn't be rewarding um, 11 million people with citizenship when they came in illegally. And then, I mean, I have, if these people came in legally, obviously they should be, have a passive citizenship. Um, I personally think that the, the process to become a citizen, I think is a little too long. Um, there's certain things like, um, so my colleagues were telling me is that he has to work at a job, the same job for seven years. Like he can't change jobs in that time period. He can't, um, um, get to take a pay cut. He can't change his his uh, his uh, title at all. Mm-hmm. Those seven years, or otherwise the process starts over. So I think there's there's definitely places where we can improve the the pathway to citizenship, but rewarding illegal um, people is not the way to do that. Yeah, that's the thing. If if you want to talk about opportunities to fix our immigration policies or to fix the citizenship policies in this country, I would entertain that discussion, but to act as though someone who has openly flouted the laws of the United States and has blatantly broken those laws should be rewarded by jumping ahead in line of people like your coworker and people I've worked with in the past as well, and, and people that you and I don't know as well that are legally following the process, that's the problem. Because everyone says that it's, this, it's a xenophobic, anti-immigrant mentality that breeds this type of thought, and it's not. The reality is, it's a anti-lawlessness type of mentality. It's, it's a belief in law and order and a belief in, in overall fairness. Because the reality is, look, if you're coming from Japan, Russia, Mexico, it doesn't matter where. If you follow the legal process, then you should also be upset that there are a bunch of people who didn't follow the legal process 
and are going to jump you in the line, get all the benefits of citizenship without any of the hard work that you had to deal with. And they are now citizens while you continue to wait in your seven-year waiting period, while you go through your, your long, lengthy background checks, or if you have family that you haven't been able to bring over from the, over to the country, because there are hundreds of thousands of immigrants that come to this nation every decade that leave their families behind and have to bring them after they're established in this nation because they could only get a visa for one of them, or they could only come over here and do you know get a job and a sponsorship for one of them. So there are a lot of people that have their families abroad that can't get them over here because they're following the legal process, people that are waiting to get their, uh, their citizenship, waiting to get their green card, what have you, that are all getting jumped in line because some other individuals that fall into a voting block that is advantageous to a certain political party, they get to jump them in the line because, well, it's not your fault that you came here illegally. You came as a child. And first of all, let, let's let's throw that out the window. This whole thing that dreamers are different than any other illegal immigrant because they were brought here as a child is garbage. The reality is ignorance of the law doesn't is not a defense of breaking the law. And do I think they need to be beaten and, and stoned in the streets? No, but they shouldn't be rewarded for what they've done either. And they, and, and, they are not here legally one way or the other. And the reality is many of the illegal immigrants in this country that were brought here as children, that they act as though a lot of them didn't know they were, that's not true. A lot of them do know. That's why they hide in, that's why they hide in plain sight as we all, all often hear. And that's why they don't want to be outed through these different measures. And that's why they're afraid of the census because they know they're illegal. So they know they're breaking the law day in and day out, but they don't want, they want to be here. So this country that we all hear every day from the left is corrupt, evil, anti-immigrant, anti-minority, anti-LGBT, anti-whatever group you want to call, is also the only country in the world that apparently has no regard for its own safety or, or, or sovereignty. Every other nation on earth has immigration laws and enforces them, but yeah. this country that's so evil, everyone wants to be in, and we should let them be here, even though we're horribly evil. So yeah, what is it? For immigration, year over year, over year, over year. Somehow, with us being racist, we keep bringing in um, minorities love coming here. I don't get it. Yeah, if, if we're so bad, then wouldn't it be a civil, a, a human rights atrocity to give these people citizenship and like let's let's flip it on its head here if the if the united states is such an evil evil nation wouldn't it be a bad idea to give them citizenship because we are just a, we're we're bringing them into a group of oppression where we are just openly asking to bring more people in to be beaten down by our systemic racism and our and our culture of oppression for the for the poor and the stricken and the beaten down this is really actually quite an evil thing the democrats want to do by their own narrative very true and this is what the issue with i think what the democratic party is is they're just full of hypocrites or maybe not intentionally hypocrites but they're not thinking through their ideas fully they're, they're all shallow ideas which is why they make no sense when you compare them compare them together I think it is. I think it, I think it's both. I think it's intentional hypocrites. When you look at their leadership, when you look at the, the elected yes, officials, yes, I think they know full well what they're doing. The so, people yeah, so at the grassroots yes, level. Yes. Yeah. The people at the grassroots level, I think you're right. Some of them are openly hypocrites and don't care. And others, 
either through lack of, and, and I'm going to say this, whether it's nice to say or not, whether through genuine lack of intelligence or through just lack of concern about the, the understanding of all their policies, don't realize that one thing doesn't follow another, that the train of thought isn't connected. Some of them, I think it's genuinely that they just don't care. And they, they want to be on the side that is opposing the right, whatever it is, because the right is associated with Christianity and with, with evil and yeah, with immoral. everything they can say, everything they consider evil, immoral and wrong. So they will side with any policy that is opposed to that. Mm -hmm. And some I think are just genuinely uninformed and uneducated. And then there are some that I think just never take the time to stop and think through what the policy implications are of the things they're talking about. And those are the individuals that I think that if I'm talking to anyone on this podcast who doesn't already agree with these viewpoints, those are the people I want to target because those are the people that can change their mind. The uninformed and the people who haven't thought it through. The people who are informed and are accurately make, you know, actively making these decisions, knowing what they're thinking, I don't think I'm ever going to change your mind. I don't no, intend to, and I, I don't, I don't try, I'm not trying to compromise with you. influence uh, Bernie Sanders to change his mind. But exactly. If can influence some, you know, college age, 20, 30 year olds. I mean, I'm, I'm fine with that. That's, that's going to shift the shift everything. Cause what I want to do is get people while they're, while they're still open to change. Cause you know, as you get older, you're less likely to change. So yeah, if I can influence someone and then they raise their kids to be conservative, I, I can, I consider that a win. I agree. Mm -hmm. All right. So there's plenty of more, plenty more Democrat policies we can talk about besides immigration. So let's shift gears. Mike, I picked the first one. You pick the next. Let's kind of go round robin. Oh, let's, let's do an easy one. Abortion. That's clearly anti-Christian. So the, the Christian parent uh, view of life is that, you know, before you were in your mother's womb, God knew you and had a plan for you. So you, you were a life clearly in the womb, even before that, you, you know, your soul was, was thought of and uh, believed to be in existence. Whereas Democrats are pushing um, not only for abortion anytime before the birth, but they're, they're starting to push for, um, well, it's not a life until after you leave the hospital with it. It's not a life until, you know, you, you've, you've taking the baby home and that's not now integrated it into your life. That's when the life actually begins. So they're, they're now talking about post birth abortions because of the Democrats are playing loose with how you define a life. And they're supposed to be the, the party of science. Well, if you're doing the party of science, then we know that the life begins essentially when the, the sperm hits the egg. That's yes. when the life begins. Yeah. Science has made it very clear numerous times, although now it's been reworked because it doesn't fit the, the cultural narrative of what science is. Mm -hmm. But science has made it very clear numerous times in history that life begins at conception. And you're right. And, and for those of, of you who, who picked up on something Mike said that we may not have been explicit about before, we don't want to just talk about Democrat policies and the, and the danger they are, they are to the country. That is one thing. But we really want to talk specifically about the, Demo the fact that the Democrat policies that they are pushing are actively anti-Christian and, and actively pushing away the Christian people. Yes, especially because Biden keeps talking about his Catholic faith. That's what really irritates me. If they were you know, open to being like, we're just a bunch of atheists who don't believe in that, that's one thing. But, the, uh, but to say that you're uh, practicing Catholic or you're religious... And then do this. 
is is it's just disgusting to me because you're 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 shifting what Christianity is is by being like in the highest office in the land saying I'm a Christian and this is what I believe. There's just certain things you can't believe as a Christian. Period. I I completely agree, and that's that is the problem at the crux of it, right? Is that they if if they were open about their secularism and their and their refusal to accept God in their policies, then I wouldn't agree with them, but at least it would be honest. But instead, they use Christ and his name to further policies that could not be more anti-Christian, that could not be more actively opposed to the things that Christians are taught to believe and to cherish. And, and first and foremost, Mike, you hit the nail on the head being the, the life of an, of an infant, the life of, a, of an unborn child. And that's the problem is they don't want to talk about it as an unborn child. They want to talk about it as a fetus because they think by using the word fetus, it becomes an inhuman. It becomes a thing and a thing that has no value because it is simply a belonging of the mothers. Mm-hmm. And it's not. Which is stupid because by calling it a fetus, you're admitting it's in the life cycle. So it's a human fetus. Um, so it's a human being in the fetal stage right now. Then it'll go to the, the baby stage and tall, uh, infant, toddler, um, child, uh, adult. Like that's you're by calling it fetus, you're admitting it's alive. That's why. That's why they also use it's just a clump of cells, like the the, the stuff that comes off of you, like your, your skin scales when you wash. Like I've I heard that argument. Like every time you shower, you're you're uh, causing a, a, an abortion. It's like w- wiping off dead skin cells or hair when, when you wash uh, when you wash your hair is completely different than a, a fetus. It's completely another completely different. So it's just irritating that the part again the party of science is like no it's just a it's, a, it's just a clump of cells nothing special. And, and one of the more one of the more sickening parts about the whole thing is. If you just take at its face what they're really arguing, aside from the, the, the Christian aspect of it is disgusting, but even if let's step away from that for just a moment, we'll come back to it. But stepping away from that for just a moment, let's think about what they're actually arguing here. They're arguing that because a fetus can't live on its own, that it has no quality of life, that it has no, no, no right to life. And therefore, because it, because it requires its mother to live, that it's essentially a parasite and can be destroyed at any time. Let's try. Let's follow that train so of everyone, thought. Then, yeah, but just so everyone is aware, a parasite has to be a different species. It's like kind of the the point of it being a parasite. Part of science is using the word parasite wrong. Anyway, what are you saying, Jeff? No, thank you for pointing that out. That <laughs> I appreciate. But let's follow. Let's follow that train of thought for just a second. So, by that token, then why can't why don't we put to death all children before the age of like children before the age of like five can't do anything for themselves and really even beyond that point probably um any, i was going to say before uh before 18 <laughs> it, it, at the very earliest probably 10 yeah. uh but okay so all young children if you change your mind why can't you just throw them in the trash leave them in a dumpster or kill them because mm-hmm. they're they're essentially just an extension of you um but let's let's take it further what about any human being that can only live on a ventilator any human being that cannot live unassisted at any age, um, any human being with a mental retardation or with a physical retardation, um, 
all of the, if what we're, what we've actually gotten dangerously close to, and this has happened in other parts of the world, which is why I bring this up because people say, oh, that'll never happen. And it does. We've gotten dangerously close to the point in the United States where abortion has, is leading the way to more diabolical policies, which is, it's, it's horrifying that there's something more diabolical than killing an unborn infant, but there is, and it's, selective selectively murdering children and aborting them based on the fact that they're going to be born with down syndrome or selectively getting rid of children that don't meet your specific gene requirement because they have a genetic disorder uh, there there are we we're seeing this happen in other parts of the world we're seeing this happen in um norway and other in denmark and other countries and it's we're down we're going down that path where a child is you know we we just pick and choose until we get the perfect genetic specimen, which that has been done before, by the way. It was done about 80 years ago by men that we all openly acknowledge were the pinnacle of evil in the Nazi party that Mm -hmm. did this to Jewish children as, as experiments because they could. And now we're getting to a point where we're openly advocating that what's the mother's body, she can do whatever she wants, whenever she wants, and there are no consequences for that action. Exactly. No. What this makes me think of is um, in the movie 300, where like they're taking like the Spartan um, kids and like looking at them over it and then just throwing them off the cliff. Like that's that's the extreme and theoretical version, but like that's kind of what we're getting to. Where it's like, uh, it, this doesn't it, fit my even like you see it in in, in China, where it's like, well, that's what I was oh, gonna it's say. A girl? Spartan Spartan society, like the, the movie 300 is fictional, although we know that those types of things did occur in the ancient world. But we can use an example of the modern world in China, where you can only have one child and it's not a boy, you get rid of the child, you mm-hmm. just leave it to die. That's, that's what we're approaching as a society. In a society where we are being told, going back to the Christian aspect of this, that these individuals that are guiding this party are telling us that they are devout Catholics, not just Joe Biden. Nancy Pelosi says the same thing. We hear it from many other Democrat leaders and, and not to mention you hear it from the Pope himself at this point, which is a whole different topic. We could get into well, a different day. I don't care but, what the Pope says. Well, I don't either, but again, we could get into that, but, but you've got and completely anti-Christian policies that there is no defense of. And it really comes down to the defense of, the defense of the idea that as a, as a woman, you have the right to have unprotected sex with no consequences. And every, anyone who's listening that's on that side of things will say, oh, this is two men talking about it. Well, here's the reality is a man should be responsible for the child that is his regardless. And a woman should be responsible for the consequences of her actions. And every, and then here's the other argument gets thrown out is, well, what about in cases of rape and incest? Those horrific cases that are always used as the exemplars of, first of all, I don't believe that abortion is, should still be acceptable in those cases. And I will yeah, go I out there and say that. I don't, but, I don't, you shouldn't answer a wrong with another wrong. Exactly. And, and, and so, and, and I just want to say, um, being black and being descendants from slaves, there's rape in my, in my bloodline. So, so we, the thing is, like, when you use that excuse and when you do the abortion, you're not just ending that life. You're ending all the potential lives that come from it. So everyone in my family, um, on both sides, at least, at least I know my mom's side that I love and I care for, are descendants from a rape that, that occurred generations ago. So I, I can't say uh, we should 
uh, allow um, abortions in the case of rape because I wouldn't be here. So maybe that's selfish, um, but you know, that's just my, my viewpoint. That's how I feel. I, I think it's a fair viewpoint. And I think the point you made that's equally fair is you don't answer a wrong with another wrong. Two negatives do not make a positive in the real world. Just because yeah. it fits in math doesn't mean it fits in life. And right. the reality there's, is- There's a reason why we don't, someone gets murdered, you don't allow them to, all right, well, you killed my, my brother and I get to kill yours. Like, there's a reason we don't do that. We know that, and that's, that's a Christian thing that we know that you don't answer the wrong with the wrong. Exactly. And, and here, the other piece of it that, that really bothers me about that is we use this example, like, even if you say, well, it should be allowed in cases of rape and incest, which I agree with Mike, it should not be. And I'm willing to put myself out on that limb and say that, that there is not an, there is never a time an abortion is acceptable, except in one instance, when both the mother and the child are going to die as a result of the pregnancy, like a uh, tubal pregnancy or something like that, if two people are going to die and you can save one life, then it's, that's not, that's not the same. Look, mm -hmm. if the child is going to die anyway, and you can save the mother's life by taking the child out, that's already going to die. That is a very different thing than an abortion. Yeah. But even and, in that case, I think you should still try to not have an abortion, but have like a C-section. Well, I agree. Instead. I think you should try to save the child. My point though, is that's a very different circumstance either way. That is, right. that is, if you're, if you're, if you're saying the child's dead, like the child is going to die or is dead in there. And if the mother continues to carry it, the mother will die. Then there's, then that, that's not a question, mm -hmm. but that's the only and, situation because right. that's a medical, that's a medical intervention into something that's totally different. I, I agree. And that's why I think there should be, I think that's why Roe v. Wade won't be uh, eliminated because it just says that you can have abortions. I think the issue is it allows for any type of abortion. That's the issue I have with, with Roe v. Wade. Not that the abortion um, itself is, is illegal because there are cases like that where like the mother can't die. Um, so I'm fine with, I, I agree with you. I'm fine with abortions in that case. You know, I said I, I would prefer to um, do a C-section if the baby is farther, farther, far enough along. Um, but so it's switching really quick. What are your thoughts on Roe v. Wade? Like the, the um, what's the words I'm, I'm looking for? Well, just, what, what are your thoughts on it? Let's, let's go there. Let's stop there. The, the biggest issue I have with Roe v. Wade is honestly not even the abortion issue. And, and I've made myself very clear in the last five minutes and any other time we've talked about it, what I feel about abortion. But Roe v. Wade, honestly, I think is a bigger issue than abortion. And we've talked about this before. Roe v. Wade is a state's rights issue. Roe v. Wade is a judicial and federal overreach beyond what the Constitution allows. It, because while I don't agree with abortion being legal at any point in time, the reality is if the state legislatures led by the states themselves choose to do that, then that is a different situation. The problem with Roe v. Wade is Roe v. Wade struck the ability of the states to decide that away. And it said, this is a federal issue for an item that is not a federal issue. That's my biggest problem with Roe v. Wade, to be honest with you. But in terms of the implication on what it allows, Roe v. Wade doesn't place any restrictions on what's legal. All it did is it left it in the hands of the federal government to make a decision that the federal government has no place making. And they did it under the guise of privacy and under the guise yeah. of individual rights. And 
they there is no there is nothing in the constitution that gives that right a to the people or b to the federal government and it is very clear look reality is life liberty and property or pursuit of happiness depending on how you want to look at things are your god-given inalienable rights those rights end where you infringe upon another's and mm-hmm. the reality is by exercising your right to liberty to end a life your ending someone else's right to life, which supersedes liberty. Very much so. And that's the we, problem. We talked about this on like our, our first broadcast, where we, I think we both agree that life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness or property are in that order for a reason. That that's the rank that they should be in. So I should be able to, to do anything in my, within my liberty um, that may violate your pursuit of happiness. But it's, it gets very close when I start to violate your liberty. And I definitely shouldn't be able to violate your life with my liberty. Exactly. And that's the, and, and the last thing I wanted to say about the, the whole, the, the entire abortion thing. And this is kind of where I was going with it is it's, we've gotten to the point where it's no longer just about the individual rights of a mother or anything like that. We're now making this a, a, talking point where it is the deciding factor on justices. It is the deciding factor on um, political candidates. And we've gotten, we've gotten to the point where now all that matters is where you fall on whether or not someone has the liberty to be able to end a life because they simply want to, because there, there are no consequences for your actions. Because we, again, going back to the whole, um, rape and incest situation, we use the extremes to justify the average. The reality is that is less than 1% of all abortions performed annually, but we use that extreme regularly to justify what happens in the government, in, in the country and say abortion should be legal without restriction because some people get raped sometimes. But in the reality, most abortions are used as a form of retroactive birth control, which is not the same And even if you say, oh, it should be okay for rape, it is not the same as saying you should be able to go out there and do whatever you want without without restraint and without repercussions because adults don't have to suffer consequences. The reality is we've gone away from personal responsibility, which is the other other anti-Christian aspect of this, is we are responsible for ourselves and our own actions. And we've thrown that out the window. So thanks, thanks for having me to that because I wanted to talk about just group identity and, and kind of critical race theory, but I know we're, we're writing or reading a book on that right now, so I don't want to dive into it too much, but just putting people into their different groups is also anti-Christian. So the, um, so you can hop in if you, if you want, but my belief is that Christianity believes in the divinity of the individual, that we all have a, a spark of God in us, and because of that, we are individuals and not just part of our group um, that, you know, uh, Jewish or, or Gentile, Greek or Gentile, you know, it doesn't matter who you are. It's, it's how you act that defines you. Um, so in that case, me being black, me being man, a man, me being straight, doesn't matter. It, 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 it's what's inside that actually matters. Um, so what, what, I guess what's your definition uh, or, or Christian, your viewpoint on individuality? So I, I don't know that I would use the phrase divinity of individual ju- just because it's not a phrase that I, I don't like the way that phrase gets twisted. I think the way you described it, I agree with. Um, mm-hmm. But that phrase I often hear get twisted in a different way because mm-hmm. um, 
secularists often use the same phrase divinity of the individual to basically say that everyone is their own God and is then yeah. in charge of themselves. So mm -hmm. I don't like to use that phrase because I've heard it twisted numerous times. Um, gotcha. That said, your definition of it, I agree with. And so that's what I would say is that it is very clear to me through scripture, through um, the way I was raised, but mostly through scripture, through Jesus's teachings and the teachings of the entirety of scripture that we are accountable for our actions. We are accountable for ourselves. All men are born into sin. My, I am, you are, everyone is. We are all sinners. And yeah, it is not my place. <laughs> it is not my place to point out the splinter in, in your eye and ignore the log in my own, to use uh, a line from scripture. So, but what that doesn't mean is that we should just go around accepting sin from ourselves and from those we know. It, it is our job as Christians, not as Americans, not as politicians, not as anything to go and spread the gospel. It's our job as Christians to do that, um, which, which we can get into in a second if we want to. But I believe we are accountable for ourselves. And that has nothing to do with your race, with your gender, with your um, sexual orientation, with any of that. You are accountable to God for your actions. And at the end of the day, at the end of your lifetime, at the end of, at the end of man, you will answer for those actions. And I believe very strongly that there is only one way to salvation, and that is through Jesus Christ. But that does not mean that we are, again, not accountable for our own actions. We are accountable for what we do. And, you know, it's interesting you bring up individuality because, again, I think that they, I think you've hit the nail on the head that it's critically important to understand that from a Christian perspective that we have taken away accountability for the individual and said that we are they have done exactly what I get worried about with the phrase divinity of, of the individual. And they have twisted that and basically said that everyone is their own God and everyone is their own master of themselves. And therefore you, there is no, they've become very secular, but at the same time, they've bucketed people into groups and they've taken away individuals. And it's, it's funny because it's not just a Christian issue. It's also a civil rights issue. We talked about, we've talked about civil rights a number of times, but you know, the thing that people forget about Dr. King was that Dr. King's dream was that one day little black boys and little white boys and girls would be able to be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And we have gone completely opposed to that, completely 180. And to the point where I read an article two days ago that Gavin Newsom, in looking for Kamala Harris's replacement, assuming that she were to become vice president, which God willing will not happen. Um, but assuming she becomes vice president, obviously Gavin Newsom gets to appoint a senator to replace her until that term is complete. And the article at no point said, these are the candidates that he is looking at based on their merits, based on their, based on what they've done. And while I would disagree with all the merits, because I disagree with Gavin Newsom and the decisions he would make almost invariably, none of that was even in the, fa it was factored in. It was saying that he is being approached by advocates for a minority woman, for an LGBTQ woman, for it. It was all about different identity politics boxes he could check. And so they weren't being judged by the content of their character. In fact, the content of their character never came into the equation and doesn't seem like it's going to. The content of their character is an afterthought. It is the color of their skin or the identity politics boxes they check because now it's not just the color of your skin because Mike, you are almost as oppressive to, to individuals now as a black man, as I am as a white man, because you're still a man and you're still straight and you're still cisgendered. And, and so you're, you're not quite as bad as me because I'm white and you are black, but 
aside from that, you're still you're still evil. Marxism. You're Christian. You're middle class. You are oh, upper middle class. <laughs> you're a Christian upper middle class. You are um, cisgendered and heterosexual. So you're very very evil yourself because mm-hmm. you only I'm check one white. identity. You only check one identity politics box, and there are numerous others that you need to check. You need if you were a woman, that'd be another box. If you were a gay woman, well, that's a good. Or if you were a transgender who still if you if you were a man that thought you were a woman that was still in love with women then you'd be checking a bunch of boxes transgender lesbian so there there are a lot of boxes you don't check and i think again there's a big anti-christian aspect to it but i think it's even we've even gotten to the aspect of now we're ignoring the basic identity basic tenets of the civil rights movement and what it was really about the civil rights movement in the 60s had a very important cause and that was to have people judged again by the content of their character, which I fundamentally agree with because that is what Christ teaches us to do. Judge each other as, first of all, it is not our place to judge one another, but to look at each other as brothers and sisters in God and to look at, look past skin, look past tribe and and look at the the person. But we don't do that at all anymore. So not only is this anti-Christian, it goes against what the civil rights activists of the sixties fought for. Well, civil rights activists were very much Christian. <laughs> well, yes, Dr. King, for anyone who doesn't remember, was a reverend. Mm-hmm. So was his uh, father. Mm-hmm. So that, that is true. They, they're, they're, their principles were based in Christianity, which again is because that argument, there is no argument that can be made that someone should be judged on the color of their skin. That is blatantly and patently absurd. So it's very easy to say that argument was valid and that's what, when they were fighting for that. But now we're fighting that you should only be judged for that reason. Exactly. Like Kamala Harris is VP because she's a black woman. That's, that's it. That's, that's it. So like she was like in last place in the, pri- in the Democratic primaries. She's, she was like the most disliked person like uh, Bernie Sanders would have made more sense to me because he was in second place. No, I do not like Bernie Sanders. It Elizabeth Warren, sense. even even Elizabeth Warren lasted longer in the yeah, primary. Yeah, she was in third, right? Third, fourth. Uh, she, yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember where she actually finished before she fell out of the race. But it was a lot further along than Kamala Harris. Um, Tulsi Gabbard was more, had a bigger following if you wanted a woman. And again, that's checking an identity box, but it had nothing to do with policy. It has nothing. And that, again, I think it's, I'm not trying to lessen the importance of the fact that it's very anti-Christian because I I think that is the most important piece. But I think it's also interesting to point out that the same people that they try and, they try and use Dr. King's own speeches and quotes to drive their cause and completely ignore the content of those speeches. Mm-hmm, 100%. And again, I mean, it's funny because in the book we're reading, they're talking about civil rights activists. It's like, that's what you're, what you're putting in this book has nothing to do with what the civil rights were about. In, in fact, it's, it's, it's diametrically opposed. It's not even just mm-hmm. that they're unrelated. It's they're, they're genuinely opposites. opposed. I do not believe that the civil rights activists of the time would would be in favor of what's being pushed now. Now, some of them are still around. You look at Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson, some of those guys, but those guys have just become They're caricatures the of themselves. They're, they are in it for the fame and for the, the publicity. They're not, you know, they don't, they're not in it for any character or any real reason. And I, I say that with pretty good confidence. Uh, I, mean, I agree. I don't like either, either one of them. They also they all they, they also claim to be reverends, 
Yeah, it's funny because I think my my parents' generation like them, but like my generation, like we see no purpose for them. They they don't do anything because they they what they try to do is they try to become the the black leader that Martin Luther King was, um, and they just failed at it because they were just you could see that they they were um, disingenuous. It's, it was crystal clear. Yeah, it's, like yeah, it's funny because I remember going to being at the Atlanta airport and uh, I think it was Jesse Jackson. Maybe it was Al Sharpton. One of them, I can't, I can't remember, was there and no one was walking up to him. No one was talking to him. And I, <laughs> I just find that interesting that he's supposed to be like the, the great black hope. You're in Atlanta and no one cares about you. It's because they become caricatures of them. So they, they, they've they've cashed in on the political and social clout of the movement to their own benefit. And I think like you, as you pointed out, everyone kind of sees through it at this point. Mm -hmm. There's no, there's no honesty in it and there's no genuineness. And, and I think it's, they've, they've thrown away the beliefs that they may or may not have ever held. I don't know, but they've thrown them away in the, in the in order to be expedient to become part of the greater political machine mm -hmm. yeah i agree um since we're since it's kind of related i think reparations is also anti-christian because you shouldn't be paying for the the sins of your father or i guess your great 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 grandfather or in That's, some cases like mine no not one. at all yeah <laughs> Like, people tend to forget that most of the white people here came after slavery was abolished. They now, now, I will say, actually, my I have family on both sides, both of my parents that were here pre-revolution, but my family is also very, very much Northerners. And the North, even prior to the revolution, like even prior to the Civil War, everybody thinks that the North kind of stopped doing slavery. The North was never huge on slavery to begin with. Exactly. Because there weren't a lot of jobs for slaves. Then, and that doesn't mean there were no Northern slave owners, but Those there was a reason why you, you ran North. Yeah. Like they, there was, there were not many of them. It's mm -hmm. not like it was. And, and honestly, even more than that, people also forget that a large majority of white people in America are descended from people that didn't have slaves. Like not everyone is descended from the Rockefellers and, and, and the Vanderbilts that had money. And like What's funny is that Kamala Harris, her family owned slaves. Yeah, Kamala, Kamala Harris's family sold slaves. Mm -hmm. No one seems to care about that. Yeah, people people don't. That's because it doesn't fit the narrative. She's a black woman, so she couldn't have possibly been part of the oppression. And that's and in reality, I don't think she. I mean, she shouldn't be blamed for that because the actions of someone that was seven generations removed from you has no impact on you. But if I you're agree. gonna, but but it cuts both ways. If you're gonna say it cuts me, then it should cut her to the, to that point. Yeah. So, the, where I think reparations should occur is if is for the people working in the prison system that are being paid ninety cents a day to to do work that should be like fifteen dollars an hour or whatever it is outside of prison. Like that's that's a place where I could see it. It um, I could see it. Um, from like the in states that had redlining, but I think that wouldn't be for me. It would be for like my grandparents who are no longer here. So I think if you're doing reparations, it should be what the government did to people um, that are still around, and not what private citizens did 
hundreds of years ago. Yeah, I mean, I even I, I, I understand where you're going. I even could I could see that. Even I would be a little. I'd be iffy even on that, but I could see that argument at least if you were, if your labor was essentially stolen from you in prison, mm-hmm. um, then, but again, it has to be, if you're still alive, not your kid, not your kid's yeah. kid. Um, you know, if, but even that I would, it would really, I'd have to really look at it and say, okay, it, I think it would be case by case and by job oh, by definitely. job. And because like, I think that, I think the degree to which you are removed of your rights should have a lot based on what your crime was mm-hmm. like a violent criminal offender who murdered six people or murdered and raped a child or something. I have a lot less concern for how much you have to work in the prison system. Like in my mind, you're lucky that you're not dead. Um, so, but guess, someone who sold me, drugs, it's a little different. Yeah. For me, I'm really, I can't think of any crimes, any nonviolent crimes that should put you in jail. Off the top of my head, I, I, See, I, I wouldn't go that. Like, I wouldn't go like that. Laundering, laundering. Well, so let's say if you if you stole like an iPhone or something like that, if you have the ability to to pay for it, um, you should like have to pay for that iPhone plus like a you were being stupid fee. Um, well, I mean, I, I think you, you definitely if you're not going to go to prison, there should be a fine because otherwise the consequence is you buy oh, yeah, the item no, stole, which that's that that opens the door. Yeah, there's um, definitely yeah. So in California, crime is shot to the roof because they just catch them and like release them or they're actually not even like pursuing those crimes at all. Yeah. So there's, so, there's, I'm not saying that there shouldn't be consequences. I'm saying the consequences should fit the action. I agree with that. I just wouldn't go so, I wouldn't go so far as to say there are no nonviolent crimes that I think should be in prison. Cause I think there are plenty that should. I I can think of a few off the top of my head. Um, uh, Embezzlement. um, Oh yeah. yeah. Sorry. Securities fraud. I was getting the fraud. I was gonna say like uh, up to like, the white collar crimes of fraud, but even that, I think, with that, you're. St- I think it could be considered violent because of the lives you're 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 damaging. I mean, I think I understand your point. I think that's a stretch yeah. because to me, a violent crime is a is physical violence. But I understand what your point is. Mm-hmm. I mean, and the other thing would be like drug dealing, things like that. Like I think those could be those are nonviolent crimes by definition. And like, there's a difference to me between dealing weed and dealing crack, and there, I do think there there are reasons for now. Do I believe that the the um, the terms that they're being forced to serve in prison are equivalent to the crime? That I definitely think is is debatable. I think there are many places where they're serving longer prison sentences than they should. But I do think, to some degree, I mean, like even even identity theft, like you deserve to go to prison because you are impacting other people's lives, and there has to be some consequence to what you've done. Yeah, maybe, maybe I should bring that back then. Um, so, so take it from nonviolent to crimes that aren't influencing other people. Maybe that's a better way of saying it. Victimless crimes? I wasn't say victimless, but cr- crimes against corporations. So like stealing like an iPhone doesn't impact anyone except for like Apple itself or selling weed because of the how non-lethal it is. I want to be, I have no problem with that. Because like, we, like because of weed specifically, I don't think should put you in prison in general because no. of the stitch, because of how many places it's become legalized. But yeah, like crack, that, that can kill you in one thing. And one, when one, one, one dose. So I think that can be considered, um, maybe not violence, but 
damaging to someone's life. Yeah, I, I I understand the logic you're following. And like I said, I could I could see that argument. I, I don't want to go too far off on a tangent. But like I said, I definitely wouldn't say all nonviolent criminals should be out. And I know that's and since you've kind of clarified, I know that's not what you're saying. But I would not go that far because like child porn is technically nonviolent, but is horrific. And I think those people should be locked up in the key. They should have the mm-hmm. key thrown away. I mean, like those people are just as uh, bad I, to I, me I, as a rapist or a murderer. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think what so with your using child porn um, by supporting that industry, I think that's could be considered violence as well because you're, you're supporting violence to child to, to children. That that I could see that argument. I could see that yeah. argument following a lot easier than say like um, the 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 theft being uh, violent because it's hurting someone's livelihood. But anyway, I don't want to go off on too much. But I understand your point. Yeah. Um, so I had another topic and I've lost those we talked. So Mike, kick us, kick us down the road a little bit. Um, so we, we did. Um, you want to go into the transgender? Let's wanna... save that one for last if you've got any others, because I, I do want to do that. But I want to I want to use it to to kick us into our, our next big topic. Mm-hmm. Um, we can talk about Black Lives Matter being anti-Christian. Um, that's not really a Democrat policy, but all, I think only Democrats like Black Lives Matter, the organization. Not, not the sentence itself. I think everyone agrees that Black Lives Matter. Yeah, I, I think the idea itself, no one has a problem with. I don't think there's, that's the thing is, I don't think anyone, any, I, I wouldn't say anyone. There are people obviously who have a problem with it, but I, okay. I don't think any logical, rational person has a problem with the concept. I think most people, logical, rational people have a problem with the, with the, with the group, the mm-hmm. organized Marxist group. Yes. That is openly, to your point, Mike, openly anti-Christian, is may, has made it a tenant of their of their goals to destroy the nuclear family, which has already been destroyed by democratic policies. To destroy the the capitalist society. What's funny about that one is they say capitalism is evil, but we need to use your capitalist money to fund all our programs. That's because the people at the top don't hate capitalism. Just like George Soros doesn't hate capitalism. The dude has what, $80 billion. He just funds every anti-capitalist group because it's to him, it's a game. He's not going to lose his money. Yeah. Well, the thing is with socialism and and communism, Marxism, the thing is the elites don't get touched. It's the people at the bottom that get damaged and get hurt. Mm -hmm. So So they're going to be fine no matter what system they're under. It's also, I mean, it's, there are a lot of people destroying the nuclear family is anti-Christian in and, of it, in and of itself. But honestly, a more basic fundamental issue with all of those Antifa, Black Lives Matter, all of them have one fundamental flaw that makes them anti-Christian in the first place, which is violent protests, mm-hmm. riots. That is, look, there is nothing, in my opinion, nothing anti-Christian about protesting the government. No. There is, no. however, something very wrong with burning down buildings, causing riots and fights in the street. That is a very different thing. Lawlessness and uh, disorder and a lack of respect for the, for authority and for other individuals and for your neighbors, that is Mm anti-Christian. Yeah. I think it's it's very Christian to have respect for authority and it's very anti-Christian to be the opposite. Yeah, I mean, Jesus says himself, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, which means to obey your government. And, mm-hmm. and, that, and to the extent where 
the early apostles were put to death for preaching the word. Now, did that mean that they stopped preaching for Christ? No, but they did suffer the consequences of their actions. Well, it's that it's because like you said, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, but give unto God what is God. Um, like you follow the government until it clashes with um, Christianity. It's, I think is what that's trying to say. Yeah, that you're, you're, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, and, the, I think the, and while you the, clash with the government, do it in a Christian way. Yeah. Do you do it in a way like, again, we'll, let's go back to the civil rights activists of the sixties. You do it like Dr. King did it, which is in a peaceful way. And that didn't end peacefully for him, but it also didn't. And that's the thing is people always use that and forget that it didn't end peacefully for Christ. And it didn't end peacefully for Paul or for Peter or for any of the apostles uh, it, it because you you render that unto Caesar that which is Caesar's and unto God that which is God's which to your point is your soul belongs to God your soul and your and your loyalty and your worship and your devotion belong to God mm-hmm. but the he was actually talking about paying taxes and things yeah, like that because yeah. he was actually talking about a uh, coin with Caesar's face on it um because the Pharisees and Sadducees were trying to use the idea that he was stirring up dissension against Rome to get him put to death. And mm-hmm. that was the, the context in which he was, it was spoken. But the yep. deeper meaning is in my opinion, that at no point should you stray from your devotion to God, but you do obey the laws of the nation of your, the laws of your nation. And that can also be seen in other places in scripture, in Kings and in judges in first and second Kings, first and second judges. And, God appoints leaders over nations and he appointed leaders over the Israel, over the Israelites. And they were meant to obey those leaders because you still must obey the nation that you are a part of. And that's, you, we have a nation that is founded on the idea that you can redress your grievances through peaceful protest. So I believe it's perfectly fine to do those things. It is however, not perfectly fine to riot in the streets and, and anybody that wants to try and make the, make the jump because the logical jump would be, well, what do you think about the revolution? That again is, I, first of all, I mean, I think it's that that's a gray area, right? Because they, they revolted against their, their King, but the question is, was the King, uh, their rightful ruler. And, and, and more importantly, a revolution to me is different than anarchy. They weren't advocating anarchy. They were defending the lives and Liberty of the, of the people they around them. Right. And I think it's also different because they try to do it peaceful ways first. It wasn't all of a sudden um, destroy, destroy everything down. Same with the, the, the uh, Civil War. It wasn't all of a sudden we went right into war. The, the, the point of democracy or, or the government is to try to resolve things peacefully before you have to um, bring up arms to do so. Um, but I mean, there's, there's even um, points in the Bible where violence uh, was necessary in order to take down evil. Yeah. God sent the Israelites to war numerous times and we've gotten off a little bit on a tangent. So I'm going to, I'm going to steer us back in just a little bit. And, and the last thing before we talk about trans transgender and LGBTQ rights, which I think is a big policy that's worth discussion. And we'll talk about something else. Um, the last one I want to talk about is you alluded to it, communism, Marxism, socialism, whatever you want to call them, which by and large are one thing under multiple names. 
um, yeah. they, 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 you can give me power to the government. You can, you can act as though socialism is different than communism Democratic is different socialism. than Marxism, but they're not by and large. They're not, they're the same thing. And I think that is probably the most clearly anti-Christian policy in the world. And again, it's the idea, the idea that everyone uses that I, that I hear get thrown around is, well, God would have, Jesus would have been a communist. Jesus wanted to, to see everyone, to see everyone equal. And that's what the Bible preaches. That is not the case. No, that is that the Bible does not preach that we are all, we're all equally appointed unto, unto wrath. We are all equally appointed. We are all equally sinners and we are all given equal chance to find salvation through Christ. That's about it. Yeah. Even in the Bible, um, it talks about how we all have, different gifts and that everyone can't be the pastor <laughs> like it, there, there's clearly instances in the bible um where it mentions that we aren't equal um there's even a um there's a uh, prayer distribution that talks about how a small group of people end up with most of the things that also shows up in the bible like the the another name for the prayer distribution is the matthew uh, principle which is to those who have more will be given and to those who have little, everything will be taken away. Like this, this idea that everyone is equal and should have equal income and have each, everyone should all have 32 inch TVs and every, all this type of crap isn't, is anti-Christian. It's not in the Bible at all. We'll all if you um, act accordingly, then we can both end up in heaven together. But I think even in heaven, is, is there, there's differences in like the, the crowns and so that you, you, receive that's correct based on your works on earth and based on what you've done for god and it's not equality in heaven no and it's and it's 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 fundamentally incorrect to say that to say that socialism is a christian i first of all socialism requires a devotion to the state a Hmm. a deifying of the state which is why lenin and karl marx both called religion the opiate of the masses because it they they believed it was in the way of the state's power and that the that religion was there to ultimately to to pacify the people because they were too stupid to, to think for themselves and so religion gave them gave them that peace of mind but if you look at what Which socialism ultimately teaches I think that's funny about it being opiate masses because if you look at Christianity, it pretty much says that you are not good enough the way you are and you need to constantly strive to be like Jesus, which is a perfect being, which you will never achieve. That doesn't sound very um, opium-like in my opinion. No, and that's that's a funny and interesting point. I mean, I think there are a lot of people who don't understand what what Christianity teaches and that's evidenced by that. But it's funny because, you know, Ultimately, what socialism pushes is the idea that everyone's work is equal, even if it's the the farmer working 14 hours a day or the guy sitting on his couch playing Xbox and everyone is there is there is no benefit to the work you've done which is again, not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that you, that you work for Christ, but that you, again, there, there are rewards for your labors. And even if you take it out of that, it's, you know, there is, there is nothing about socialism 
that actively, they, they use it constantly to say it creates a utopia, it creates a better, more Christian society. That is the ultimate argument. You see people use sayings like that to, to push the agenda, but it, again, goes back to what we talked about with abortion, with identity politics. It takes away the individual and essentially makes you part of a collective. You are no, no longer responsible for yourself, for your actions. The state will provide everything you need and you will simply be part of a, you will be a cog in the wheel. And that does not fit at all with, with what we are taught as Christians or what America is about. And that's, mm -hmm. you know, that I think is the most dangerous policy that's out there because the more we be, the more we start to deify the almighty science, and I would put science in italics because it's not science that we're talking about anymore. It's, it's, it's what we are calling science and following on faith without data, which is by definition, a religion. Mm -hmm. um, the more we do that and the further we get away from actually thinking about what the individual is and in the exceptionalism of America as a nation and the exceptionalism of an individual, the further we get away from Christianity, the further we get away from America and the further down the path we go, I think of not being able to be redeemed. And I think it's, you know, it's the, the last one I'll show, throw up and, and this is a little off topic, but I just want to, I've been thinking about quotes that are being misused and I saw this one last night. So I want to throw it out there. The other big Democrat policy that again, I think is anti-Christian and they use that we are supposed to be stewards of the earth um, from the Bible is climate change, right? Mm -hmm. Regardless where you fall on climate change, the reality that we, that human beings are responsible for climate change is a, largely debatable. B, the policies we want to use to, to change it are highly debatable, but they push the narrative and say, I saw Marianne Williamson said this yesterday, who, by the way, was also more popular in the Democrat primaries than Kamala Harris, a complete whack job, she but was. was more popular than Kamala Harris. Um, she's, she used the phrase, the meek shall inherit the earth to say that, well, that's just saying we're supposed to be humble before, the, before nature. That is not what that means. That is not remotely what that means. And again, is an example of using Catholicism, Christian, Christian teachings, using scripture to push non-Christian beliefs. Mm -hmm. And the reason that's working is because I think when most people go to the church, or I think people are only Christian on Sunday for two hours a day. I don't think they're actually studying their Bible. So along with politicians, I think I also see a lot of pastors doing that and misquoting and abusing uh, scripture or taking it out of context. Um, and it's, I think it's our fault as Christians for not doing the proper studying that, that we should be doing. I agree. And we, we, that's because we pushed, I mean, if we really want to get into the biggest, most anti-Christian thing that Democrat pol policies have done, it's look at the, the secularism we've pushed in schools and across the nation over the last 50 years. We went from a nation that allowed prayer in schools to a nation that now is fighting whether or not we should even have the Ten Commandments up in courthouses. I mean, that's that's how far we've gone. We've fallen away from what we were and what our founding principles were because we believe in this fundamental idea of separation of church and state, which, by the way, is not a constitutional concept and is not the intention even of what that letter meant. That was a letter written by Thomas Jefferson, which actually was referring to the fact that the government should not interfere in the church, not that the church should not be involved in the government. It was the complete opposite of what it is used to enforce. Yeah. Like I said, people aren't doing their, their study and research. 
But anyway, should we get into transgender identity? Uh, sure, why not? So the the most the last and most egregious policy that I think is being pushed right now is the is the desire of the left to push down our throats. The and I'm going to take this not even from a Christian standpoint first. Um, because I think there are plenty of issues with this uh, from a Christian standpoint, but there are equally as many just from a political standpoint. Um, the desire of the left to push down our throats, the idea that transgenderism is both mainstream and should be completely accepted without question. To the extent that children are being given the choice at younger and younger ages to define their identity, literally meaning they can take hormone blockers as children, um, that they can request gender reassignment surgery as children. And we are being told more and more that it is an act of active hate to not use the proper pronouns, to not call someone by their new name that they have chosen, to not let a little boy pretend to be a little girl. And we are seeing this not only pushed by the Democrat party as a whole, but we're seeing it become more pervasive in popular culture. We're seeing it become a bigger, it's, it's become probably the biggest, I mean, the last time this happened was probably the desire of the left to push acceptance of, of homosexuality, which, mm-hmm. you know, they pushed that and said, this is mainstream. Everyone needs to accept it and you have to accept it or you hate it. And there's a difference between tolerate tolerance and acceptance. And the left has completely skewed those two where intolerance and unacceptance are now considered the same thing. And they're not the same thing because mm-hmm. I can tolerate something I don't agree with. And I can actively disagree with something I tolerate, but now to not actively tolerate and condone and accept something means that I'm an intolerant bigot. And so we started that with homosexuality in the eighties and nineties. And then we pushed that all the way to the point where the Supreme court ruled the gay marriage was legal everywhere, which again, the court didn't have the right to do. Um, and we've, we've again, thrown out that churches should be able to make that decision for themselves um, because at its core, marriage is a institution of the church. And now we are saying that transgender identity is the next big thing because it wasn't enough to be LGBTQ. Now they have LGBTQ plus, you know, they keep adding more things to it because now you can be, you can can, actually, everyone's included now because you can be an A, which is an ally. And you can be, or an asexual. And there's, there's or a pansexual. For pansexual. Uh, gender non-conforming. Um, queer. Non-binary. Yeah. Queer questioning. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? There is, there's a million things. And to the point yeah. where even in a documentary about this, which we will get into in a moment, even their own, their own leftist priests preaching their own gospel of stupidity even call themselves out and say, and anything else I may have missed because nobody can keep up with what all the new identifiers are because you can basically choose anything you want. Yeah. And that is your identity. And so now we're, yeah, you could. And so now we're, now we're to the point where, okay, they've pushed the homosexual thing and now they're pushing this transgender thing and trying to look, I am not actively, I'm not out here preaching hate against transgender people. I'm not out here preaching hate against homosexuality. What I am out here though, is preaching common sense that we cannot redefine. We are redefining language for them. 
like basic language the language of of sex and gender is being completely construed gen there are two genders there are two sexes period no right. no ifs ands or buts and that's and, been changed and you can there's things like where you can be you know xxy or xyy but you still fall under a subcategory of male or female you're just an anomaly uh of that of that branch of male or female so there's male and female period just nothing else yeah, and, and it has been that way, not for 10 years, not for 20 years, but for hundreds of years. Yes. But now we are being but forced to redefine. Sex and gender are the same thing. But now and, like, well, no, well, you can be male, but also a she. Like, yes. no, you no. You so can't. now we're redefining, we're redefining basic common language. We're redefining common sense. And we're being told that not only do we have to do these things, but that we are actively hating people who, who are these things if we don't do this. And we're doing this for a group that is less than a tenth of 1% of the population of the earth. And, and it's more like less than one hundredth, one one hundredth of a tenth of a, per, of a percent of the population of the earth. And a Not group that in the 1990s was openly considered by all psychiatrists, and whether you buy into that as a science or not, openly considered to be a mental disorder, gender dysphoria disorder. Yeah. And it was a mental disorder. And now- yeah, gender Or, or um, body dysmorphia. So transgender used to be the same as like a bodybuilder who thought he was fat or an anorexic girl who th uh, thought she, uh, or who thought she was fat. You know, this used to be like what you see, um, what you are and what you see yourself are, are disconnected. That's what it, that's what it used to be. Like. You, you're right. It used to be a mental disorder. Yeah, and for some reason it's not now. Up until the, the mid 2000s, the APA considered this a mental dis disease. Mm -hmm. And now if you are and part the reason, of- The reason it was, is because they have the highest suicide rate. That's before or after transition. I was gonna say, even after transition now, they actually still have a suicide rate four X that of the rest of the population. Mm -hmm. um, we can get that in, into that in a second as well. And But now if you are part of the American Psychiatric Association who doesn't believe in that, and there have been some very well-known psychiatrists that have been- kicked out of the APA over this, have been mm -hmm. had their careers destroyed for refusing to back off of established, um, accepted beliefs that this was a disease. And, and look, the reality is it is a mental disorder. Now you can debate whether or not uh, you know, uh, gender reassignment surgery is an acceptable treatment. Um, I would argue it is not because as you can see by the evidence, that doesn't in most in most cases that does not solve the problem that they do mm -hmm. not feel like they're, they're they need actual treatment they need therapy and they need help and they need support and love but what they do not need is someone to build into their delusion they do not need someone to to openly accept their delusion if i went around telling everyone that i saw a purple unicorn that talked to me every day i would be put into a psych hospital and given the treatment i needed to get better People wouldn't just accept the fact that, yeah, Jeff sees that and that's okay and that's what we're going to do now. You're going to talk to Jeff and his unicorn friend because that's not accepted because people know that something's wrong. But now we're saying that anyone who has a mental disorder, we need to openly accept their disease and play into their disease and into their delusion, which is only going to make it worse. It's only going to deepen yeah. the delusion. Well, the, the, I think the fundamental issue is, is that the left is pushing that there isn't any truth. It's just your truth. There is, there's not the truth. So 
whatever you feel and whatever you perceive as true is true. So it's, it's starting with, it started with transgender, but now they're talking about, well, whatever age you feel is correct. And that's, this is opening up the door for pedophilia. That's, that's essentially what they're doing. There are, it, what's funny about that, Mike, it's a good thing you bring that up is maybe three years ago, I started seeing people say, you, if you start pushing this, pedophiles are going to become mainstream very, very quickly. And then as with everything, it, it, when people said that about homosexual marriage, they said, well, that, this won't, you're just creating, you're creating a straw man and it's a slippery slope and it's never going to go that way, but things keep getting worse. And people said, oh, that'll never happen. That'll never happen. And as recently as the last three months, I've seen articles in major leftist publications, Vox and others, openly pushing that pedophilia is a sexual identity. Yes, that's the sexual orientation now. That's, and, and that's the problem. We're now getting to the point where we're trying to mainstream child rape. Mm-hmm. Because that's what it is. I'm not going to sugarcoat anything about pedophilia. Pedophilia is not an identity. It is not a sexual orientation. It, it is a sickness that has one cure and that is to be that that is to be locked up or, or killed because frankly if you ever touch my child i'll tell you right now you're not making it to the, you're not making the, it to jail yeah the police aren't the police are not going to be your problem i will and i think that's how most logical rational people feel about anyone touching any child not even their own child but any child and now we're trying to make that mainstream and make it acceptable and not only acceptable but but actually tolerated in society that some people just love little kids mm-hmm. it's just how they were born that's their truth and, and that, truth is this pedophilia and you should be thrown in jail or shot in the face i mean there's a reason that even in prisons pedophiles don't last long because even the sickest most and i'm talking in maximum maximum security prisons with rapists murderers um, serial killer, like there is one group that in all of the, amongst all of those people is equally hated. And that is pedophiles. Mm-hmm. They last the least amount of time. And, and this is not, this is not mind boggling or, or new revelation for most people. People are aware of this, this is a well-known fact, mm-hmm. but pedophiles do not last long in prison. And it's because even gangsters or drug dealers or Biker, any any criminal that you that you can think of, there's a reason that they all realize there's one sick group of individuals they don't want to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Because the one group of people on this earth that everyone, even most criminals, will not touch is children. Because that that that's an innocence that's just it's it's not meant to be. That's not something that you're meant to do. Mm-hmm. And and you're not meant to kill other people or anything like that, obviously, but even, even most murderers and most, you know, most gangsters and things won't hurt children mm-hmm. and pedophiles ruin take a child's life away immediately. And so, I mean, the, the, those people don't last long for a reason and now we're making it mainstream, but anyway, Mike, I digress. We are talking about transgender. So I've gotten off on a tangent of where it's heading, but uh, let, let me kick it to you for a moment, get your comments, and then let's transition to Mike and I both had the awful experience of watching Transhood, an HBO documentary about transgender children um, that recently came out. 
and we'd like to give you kind of a, a, a pretty good rundown of that documentary so you don't waste your time or give any views to something that is essentially advocating child abuse. Um, and we'll give you our, our thoughts and take on it. But Mike, first, any comments before we get into transhood? Um, so I had to put that movie on three different times to actually get through it, through it because it was just blatant child abuse. Like not, not before, before we dive into the, into the, to the actual movie, these parents are, are horrible human beings and they deserve to be castrated so they can never have kids again, except for one family that we can talk about, but yep. it's, it's straight up child abuse. There's no, there's nothing, um, there's no way around it. And it's, it's, it's just a horrible, horrible thing. So like I said, I had to put it on three different times to, in order to get through it. And in between, I was watching John Wick. <laughs> like a much better experience, I'm sure. In order to get through that movie. Um, so yeah, let's let's dive in. Yeah, let me make let me make one one final comment in terms of oh, yeah, the, the, the overall transgender thing. I, I want to go on record as saying one thing that again, I believe it's a mental disorder. I believe that it's I believe these people deserve love, they deserve support. It people deal with all kinds of different different personal struggles and this is some people's struggle and i'm not i'm not by any means saying that's not a real struggle that people have now i will talk about as we get into this that some of the killed children in this documentary i don't believe had this struggle i believe that was a completely different the genesis of their decision was different um, but i do believe there are people out there that have this struggle and have this 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 problem and they deserve support and love i don't and i also don't deserve to believe in uh, hormone blockers or any of those things being allowed to be decided on by children, because I don't believe a child should be given the ability to make most important decisions because they're children and children are, are to make by definition, stupid. Look, I was stupid as a child. You were stupid as a child. Children are stupid. Children should not make lifelong decisions because they're children. Um, but that said, the one thing I wanted to point out is if a transgender person when they're a full grown adult decides to have gender reassignment surgery, I may not agree with the decision, but again, that's where you can tolerate something without accepting it. I may never no, believe that they are, that they are ever going to be anything different than what they were born, but I can tolerate it and I can accept that. And I can, I can, I can tolerate what they've done. Do, and do you're an adult, do what you want to do. Right. So Along I just want to make it clear. That's where I fall. Impact me. Like, again, to jump back to life, liberty and pursuit of happiness, you getting your gender reassignment surgery doesn't impact my life, liberty, or my pursuit of happiness. Therefore, I do not care if you do it. Yeah. Now we're gonna get we're gonna get into a, in a little moment about about a bunch of children. My opinion will be very different, but that's why I wanted to say that. Look, I have just as as with everything else, I mostly believe in very small government intervention in personal lives. And as an adult, you have all the rights in the world to do whatever you want to do. I don't have to agree with your decision, and I will tell you if you ever talk to me that I don't think that's the decision you should make for yourself because you can't come back from it. But if you choose to make that decision, more power to you. And I have no problem with you as a person. Um, I don't agree with your decision. That's it. There are plenty of people I don't agree with their decisions. But as we're getting it, we're about to talk about children and children only. So I wanted to make that clear that my comments are largely geared towards the fact that as children, none of the things I just said apply. Children should be treated very differently because they are children. And the last thing I'll say on it is, is this one last topic, Mike, is um, 
I do not like the direction we are heading as a country where we are trying to make something mainstream that is a very small group of society and make and, and force people to change their entire definition of what a man and a woman is um, because some people don't like the definition. You cannot change the definition of, of established fact simply because it doesn't fit your narrative. All right, so I'm done with my commentary. Let's get into transhood, shall we? Yeah, one, one last thing. I read an article and the title was Men Can Have Periods Too. I just wanted to just put that out there before you, you jump into this. Um, yeah, and that's my problem, by the way. Articles like that are my problem. Yeah. Because there are some there are some notable um, transgender conservative activists out there, actually. Um, mm-hmm. If you're familiar with Blair White. Mm-hmm. Um, again, don't agree with all the decisions that individuals made in their lives, but they made those decisions to. as they made those decisions as an adult and they are actively advocating not to allow children to make those decisions because they understand the ramifications of a child deciding those things and it's not my place to decide whether or not that decision was right for that individual it didn't impact me so i don't care um because they're advocating for the right thing which is that you need to be an adult first okay transhood worst documentary i've ever seen in my life Let's get into it. again like i said i uh I had to do three separate viewings to get, to get through it. Um, so transhood, it follows four people. Um, Phoenix, who was four when his documentary starts. Avery um, was seven. Jay was 12. And Lena was 14. And this document goes over um, five years. Uh, the document is, is five years long. Yeah, it takes place from 2014 through 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's start with Phoenix, the four-year-old. Um, so that, in my opinion, was clearly the parents pushing it on their kids. It's 100%. Um, at four, you shouldn't know what transgender is, honestly. I mean, at four, I still believe in the two fairy and Santa Claus. Why are you letting me change my gender? Yeah. So, so Phoenix was, Phoenix is probably the most interesting to me of the four. Um, yeah. Cause as you pointed out, Phoenix is the, is the youngest Phoenix is a little boy who at the beginning of the documentary um, you see him and his mom talking about how he's a girl boy. He's a rainbow boy. Um, they use a couple other terms, uh, yeah. but that he's, he's a boy who likes to wear dresses and likes to, and wants to people to call him a girl. But at no point in time, first of all, as Mike said, I agree. Like, no four-year-old should make that decision. A, four, a four-year-old makes no decisions. They're four. But let's go away from that for a second. Let's just look at the to- what that child did. A little toddler, at, multiple times throughout the film, they show Phoenix, and he has an older sister who's actually a girl, and he has a younger brother who's actually a boy. And Phoenix is... Like I said, he likes to wear dresses. He likes to dress up as a girl, but it never really seems, even, even when they talk about it, he does not seem to believe that he's a girl. Um, it's more, it seems more like he's being fed that line by his parents. And, and we'll get into which one in a second, because this one is unique in my opinion. Um, but Phoenix, they, they take him to a Unitarian Universalist 
church thing. I don't remember. I think it was Unitarian Universalist or something. Um, And and they do some big affirmation about if you are, if you want to identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, question. And that's, I made that joke earlier that she actually says at the end, like their pastor, whatever you want to call her. And anyone else I may, any other label I may have forgotten because nobody knows anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And Phoenix's mother brings him, I'm going to call him him because he is a boy. Um, and he even decided to see a boy. He's a boy, spoiler alert at the end. Um, brings him up to declare to the, the church, if you want to call it that, that he is a, a transgender girl. And he gets up there and says he's shy and he doesn't want to say it. And it, it seems, it doesn't seem like he's shy. It seems like he's not really sure that he wants to say this in front of a group of people he doesn't know. Exactly. It doesn't seem like, all that committed. You have to cameras following, following you. So you can't really be that shy. Yeah. And, and he's been talking to the cameras just fine. Yeah. Throughout the entire documentary. So yeah, he doesn't seem shy. It's more that he doesn't seem all that committed to the message he has to deliver, which is that I'm a proud little girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so Phoenix kind of, he, he hands the microphone back to his mother and his mother says it for him. And then he, he kind of goes on and then they get back to it. And we just want to stick with Phoenix for a minute before we talk about the others and yeah. all the way through. Yeah, it was do yeah, one by one. So, so Phoenix, then, you know, some highlights, I'm not going to mention every time he's on the camera cause it's an hour and a half long documentary and I just don't have time for that. But, you know, so the other big points with Phoenix is the mother starts to stand out interestingly enough to me in this um, in this particular documentary because it's different than the rest. And we'll get into that in a little while, but the mother starts to stand out as very stressed. She doesn't feel like she's giving enough time to her other children that Phoenix is taking up all of her time um, and that it's, it's really stressing her out and that she doesn't really know that what the decision she's making is the right decision to support him being a girl. And then her and her husband mentioned that, they're thinking about getting a divorce Mm -hmm. and the husband, the husband is the same as every husband in this entire thing. And I'm going to make one generalization and Mike, you can tell me if I'm wrong. Every husband in this is a soy boy beta male. They they are about as beta as you can get every single one of them. Yeah. Like like none of them stands up. None of them is a man. It's funny because um, Lena's dad looks like he works out. He's, he's a pretty buff guy. But yeah, he, he looks seems, like he'd be an alpha male until you listen to him talk. Yeah, he just seems weak. And there, there's they have, and and I don't <sighs> mean I don't mean the way they carry themselves. I mean in the 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 way in which they are involved in raising their children. Um, Lena is a perfect example. We'll get into in a little bit, but so soy boy beta male Phoenix's father, whose name is Zach, um, and 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 Phoenix's mom, whose name I can't recall, decide to get a divorce and. Phoenix doesn't seem to care at all. And, and almost overnight, it seems, and I'm sure it wasn't that dramatically quick, but it shows it. Se- it seems yeah. that way in the, in the documentary, but even Phoenix's mother makes it sound like it's pretty, pretty quickly that Phoenix moves or Phoenix and, and his mom and his brother and sister move into his grandparents' house. And the mom makes a comment that would be a throwaway comment otherwise, but because of what happens with Phoenix, I think has really important um, merit to it. And it's, she said that he very quickly started to, he wants to be, he starts to act like a boy. He's dressing more like a boy. And she makes a comment that he's around her father more, his, meaning mm-hmm. his grandfather. And he has a better male, a more masculine male role model. And that that seems to have changed things. 
And then, you know, she ultimately, she, should I jump to the end? Yeah. Yeah. So so ultimately Phoenix decides he's seven at the, no, no, he must be almost nine at the end of the documentary, Um, Um, but they stopped showing him earlier on. So I think, I think, I think the only only one to, he was like seven. I think they stopped after he probably because he was no longer interesting to the producers because Spoiler alert, Phoenix decides he's actually a boy. He starts dressing like a boy. He's acting like a boy. He's t- he's learning to do archery. He's playing archery, with BB playing guns. guns yeah. He is a he's a boy. And he wants to be a boy. And he is very clear that he wants to be a boy. And they show that the mom actually comes out and says she made a big mistake. Mm-hmm. Tr- kids are not transgender, that she should never have allowed it, that children cannot be transgender, that a little boy wanting to wear a dress probably because he had an older sister right. and didn't like, have, I've, I've, I've worn jewelry before because I had an older sister and she put it on me and I was like, well, whatever. I'm gonna go play video games now. Makes so much sense. About you. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, she, this the mom, actually out, comes, she's Trans- the one, mo- she's the one mom in the whole thing that is weirdly. <laughs> um, My fiance just looked at me. <laughs> a man or a woman, Mike. <laughs> no, I know your fiance, but. <laughs> but um the phoenix's mom is the one mom in the whole thing that seems almost redeemed because she comes out and says children can't be transgender i made a big mistake and i should never allowed this and And i I think and she says the therapy yeah i should have taken him to therapy and supported him that way i she said i i still believe i should support my son but i should have supported him with a therapist which I agree with. Look, you don't just tell your kid, no, you're wrong and I'm going to throw you to the wolves, but you don't just let your kid continue to live a delusion. And so she says that. What's funny though, is then she says, I think Zach was pushing this, talking about her ex-husband, excuse me. And then they show Zach talking to his son who has said he is his son at this point. And, they, and it was pretty revealing because Zach, early on, I thought that the moms in all four cases were the ones pushing this. Mm-hmm. But as you go on, you learn that Phoenix, I don't think that was the case. The mom was, was more stressed about it. The mom didn't think she was, what she was doing was right, but she kind of followed the dad's lead. Mm-hmm. And at the end, the, the, the soy boy beta male dad, Zach tells his son, yeah, I think you're a boy too. But if you decide to be a girl again later, that's okay too. Like he actively is pushing his child mm-hmm. to be transgender. It is very well, obvious to all watching this. Uh, all of them have at least one parent pushing it. But in this case, I think the dad was pushing it because he wanted a trans kid mm-hmm. because he thought he needed to have a trans kid because he didn't believe in gender conforming identity. It's the cool thing to do to show that you're so woke. Exactly. And, and so, and the boy, and the boy actively says, no, I'm a boy and I'm going to be a boy forever. Mm-hmm. So it's very obvious that get left to their own devices of child will realize what, the, what is reality. And he was, he had no significant male role model because his dad very clearly pushed him in the direction of being a girl. Um, his mom was weak and followed that lead. Yeah. And then when being around grandparents that said, I'm going to treat you like a boy and see well, what happens. It's grandparents. And, and he also started going to public school. I think that was the one. Yeah. He went to kindergarten and started being around other boys and decided, Hey, I like being a boy. Mm-hmm. And, and it's shocking how a little boy wants to be a boy and crazy dog. Again, I'm not saying that there are no people out there that struggle with this as a mental issue, but that was not, Phoenix was not one of them. Phoenix was a little boy whose parents convinced him he was a little girl. Exactly. And so he chose to be a little girl because that's what he was told he needed to be. Because a child knows what a child is told. 
Mm-hmm. And that is why you do not let a four-year-old make a decision on their identity. Now, well, a good, a good thing for Phoenix and a really, a really positive story for me was a, the fact that he did become a boy at the end and B that his parents didn't put him on hormone blockers or anything like that. So no damage was done to this child. But Phoenix right. is a perfect example of what most transgender children likely go through, which is a little confused at the beginning because they have parents that are pushing them in a certain direction. And there's a really good example of that in a minute we'll get into. And then when taken away from that influence, suddenly their identity becomes reality. And that is, I was born a boy because I'm a boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> I was really happy for Phoenix. Um, this next one, Avery, um, this parent is probably the worst one in my opinion because she's she's so regardless of how you feel about um politics my personal belief is you shouldn't be dragging a seven-year-old to like political rallies and things like that let alone making them like the center of attention at that political rally yeah it's one thing if you i i personally agree with you but it's one thing if you want to take them to a rally I still don't support it necessarily, but it's one thing if you want to take them like to a presidential speech or something that's yeah. different than a rally. And, but I definitely wouldn't yeah, have that them is different. speaking. That is different. I wouldn't have them speaking at the rally, which Avery's mother did. Yeah. So anyway, like, let, I'll let you talk about Avery. I'll stay quiet for now. Yeah. So with Avery, so what's interesting in this documentary documentary is that almost none of the kids are ever seen smiling. Like the, I think the only one that's really seen smiling is Lena um, because she's a teenager, teenager and she's probably learned to fake it. But like Phoenix, Avery, I don't see them smiling at all. Maybe a few, uh, um, a few chuckles here and there, but they seem to be horribly unhappy kids. So with Avery, like I said, her mom is like an activist mom that's like dragging around to the different rallies and to the Supreme Court and all this type of stuff to speak. Um, Avery has a book that she's making about being trans that her mom is making her sign. Um, there's even comments about how Avery says she doesn't want to do it. And her mom's like, well, you said you wanted to do it last year, so we're still going to do it. Avery's seven. Like, what her opinion was last year when she was um, six, or what her opinion was a few months ago, really doesn't matter. The fact is that She's starting to, or is Avery, Avery, Avery is a boy, boy. Okay. transitioning to a girl, according okay, there to we go. The, the documentary. I can, I, I can, I get confused. So yeah, because Jay, Jay is a girl to a boy, boy. and okay. is a boy to a girl. There we go. There we go. There we go. Thank you. So the, the dude is like, I don't want to do this anymore. And her mom's like, see, I'm fucking messed up. And well, it's probably going to be swearing, but... Well, there's our explicit language label for this episode. I whispered it. <laughs> Barely hear it. But her mom is clearly pushing this on him. It's very, it's crystal clear that he doesn't want to do this. I hate all these parents. I, I truly hate all these parents. Um, I agree, and I think Avery's are the worst by far. Avery is also... For reference to anyone who may have may remember when this happened, because I do remember this coming out on National Geographic. Avery was the was the um, cover of a National Geographic issue in what 2017, I want to say, about transgender children, transgender nine year olds, and she is or he 
is the cover of it and didn't even want to do the pictures. Um, made it very clear that he didn't want to be in the magazine. And then later on is shown, as Mike said, uh, having to sign, having to sign autographs for a book that he supposedly wrote about his transition that he has no interest in talking about or doing, um, doesn't want to be there, but is being forced to do so. Yeah. Avery also is described by his mother as a, well, people are used to tomboys. I have a boy who's a girl who's a tomboy. Then what you have is a boy. Duh. Like if your boy who is a girl wants to be a boy, then he's a boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's irritating because you, you also have like transgender men that are gay. It's like, so you're, a, you're just a straight woman. Like, or the, what's actually funny now um, is that you have the transgender woman who don't make any, um, don't go through any surgeries. So it's, it's like me, like how to say I'm transgender, I'm a transgender woman, but Put I'm a also a lesbian. You. Yeah, not, not even putting a wig on. Keep keep my my nice stubble. Like I'm a I'm a trans I'm a woman now, but I'm also a lesbian. And then actual biological women are are actual lesbians. If they don't want to have sex with me with my penis, then they are bigots. That's where we are in in, in a society now. Yep. Sorry, that's just my random. Comment. No, it's worth mentioning because I've seen it, it, that that's becoming a more and more prevalent article. There was another article about that this week that transgender children are suffering because straight kids don't want to date them. Who would have thought that I don't want to date a boy that says he's a girl? Crazy talk. So actually, yes, we can jump into Jay and Lena because they both. Well, I think Jay had a, a friend, but well, let, let me make a, one more comment on I'll Avery first, really quick. But but. Um, nothing to sum it up. I think Mike did a good job of summing it up, but Avery's mom, as he pointed out, I, I dislike the parents in this entire thing. All of the parents seem to have a political agenda and are very clearly pushing their children. But Avery's mom is the worst of it by far because Avery's mom clearly wants the attention. She actively takes Avery and herself to pretty much every political rally she can think of, is trying to get in, new, in you know, get on articles, doing National Geographic, all because she wants to be in the public eye. It's very obvious. And Avery's father is a silent wuss that does nothing to defend his son who actively is saying he doesn't want to do these things anymore. It's, it's a boy who, again, at one point in time, probably said he wanted to be a girl, or may never have said those things and was told to said them by his mom, mm-hmm. um, who has actively said, not only do I not want to be in the public eye, he, they never show Avery saying he doesn't want to be a girl anymore, but they also don't make him seem very convincing every time he says it. At one point, very towards the very end, Avery said, uh, Avery's mom asks, um, what if someone asks, you know, somebody said something about not letting them take hormone blockers because what if they want to, I think it's her grandparents or his grandparents. And what if he wants to go back to being a boy? And uh, Avery's mom says, what, are, what do we tell him? Are you ever going to want to be a boy? And he says, no, because I'm a girl, I guess. I don't know. And yeah. like, it's very unconvincing for someone who's so devoted to this idea that they're a female. It's mm-hmm. very clear that it's, it's and going this to is, rallies. yeah, this is what my mom wants me to say. I'm on camera, so I've got to say it. That's what it comes across as, as a child who's being, who knows what to say to not get yelled at. 
That's what it comes across as. And Avery knows that, or Avery's mom knows that by having a transgender child that she can parade around, that she can get herself publicity. So it is Munchausen by proxy and the child should be taken away from the mother. Avery's mother is by far the worst in this film and is borderline criminal. Yeah, I would put Jay's mom as a close second. I would as well. But we can so let's get into Jay and then I'll do Lena. Okay. So Jay is a girl that wants to be a boy. Um, and like I said, starts at 12. What's interesting um, is that her his mom is a lesbian, um, which I as I didn't didn't really um, get mentioned until like they, they bring in um, her girlfriend. Um, so one of the things I want to point out is the way that these parents are talking to their kids, like they're their friends, is what I think what we were talking about last week. Like, I am, I will never, ever be my child's friend, ever. Well, until they are no longer re- leaning on me for for like financial and yeah, when they're adults. And, yeah, exactly. When they're adults, maybe not even then, because I, I think I didn't become my parents' friend until like now. Like I wasn't, I will like, even like 18, I'm in college. I still won't, probably won't be my. Uh, oh, no, 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 no. About round like when I got career. married. You need to have a career. <laughs> yeah. When I got married and like started having my own family, then it's, that's, I think when I became my parents' friend. Right. But even still, I mean, there's a line. Yeah. <laughs> like there's, there's even today, there is a line. They're still my parents and there's a line in their mind where I'm still their child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I, I still don't swear around my parents. Like that's. I, that's a line I, I still have. Um, but so one of the things I want to talk to, talked about is that like Jay is trying to get these treatments and um, his mom's insurance doesn't cover it. So they decide to, she decides to get married so that um, her, 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 um, her girlfriend insurance uh, can cover it. And like they sat Jay down and discussed this with him. Like you just made marriage seem just like a contract. Like, well, we were, we were, I think we were going to do it anyway, but we're doing it right now is because we need to start these hormone treatments and mommy's insurance doesn't cover it. So we need to get this, this better insurance right now. But even with Jay, Jay doesn't seem happy at all. Like zero. And like, like the way that, so in, in one, like, Jay used to have a uh, a friend, and then the friend's mom's like, "All right, you can't hang out." Once they found out that they were transgender, and it's like the mom, the way the mom talked to Jay about it was just wrong, in my opinion. You shouldn't be talking to a a twelve year old, thirteen year old about how. Hmm? Uh, yeah, uh, maybe they might have been. They, might have been, uh, they never say directly, but so I, I sent this to Mike in our private chat. But they never say this directly. But I think that friend may have been his girlfriend. That is what they uh, allude to that that was Jay's girlfriend that yeah. did not know he was a girl. Right. And it's like why you're surprised and you're you're mad and like the way the mom the mom's like ranting to her uh, to her son about this, like. It was like one of her friends or something. Like you don't talk to your son like that, and break down. Like, well, the mom's just an evil, horrible person. Like you don't, you don't talk to your son like that. Like that's what. That's why 
I just dislike all these parents. Um, yeah, this this movie was like emotionally draining to me. It, it was really hard to watch because it's to me it was. I don't know if it was emotionally draining so much as it was is it was infuriating to me because from on the one standpoint I feel bad for the kids. Yeah. On so the other standpoint, I just I got genuinely draining. angry at the parents. Right. The reason I say emotionally draining is just just the struggle to get through this this movie. Like if a movie is irritating me, that that wouldn't do anything. But like it's just draining me, and this is why I had to go watch John Wick put bullets in people's heads and chests, then back to the head again. Got to double like tap. Did, yeah, double tap for safety. Sometimes triple tap. Like I just needed like just raw action, not not, not even like a, a real plot. It's like I just need this mindless action right now. Even though John Wick's a fantastic film, and I I can't wait for the fourth one. Yeah, I, <laughs> I also cannot wait for the fourth one. But and, no, Jay Jay was interesting because you mentioned it before, and I think it's true. At no point do you really see any of these children smile, with the exception of Phoenix at the end when he's a boy. He seems to smile all the time. Yeah. Um, he's smiling when he's shooting arrows and when he's playing with his gun and when he's Very playing well, with his actually. sister I and his brother. He's probably better with bow and arrows than I am, um, to be honest with you. Yeah, he's pretty, he's pretty good. And like, yeah, so, yeah, nice grouping. So, so Jay, or no, sorry, uh, Phoenix smiled when he was a boy. Jay, I don't think, smiled throughout the entire film. And it was, look, I... Jay is clearly still struggling with identity. That is that is obvious to me. Whereas Avery, I think Phoenix very clearly decided he was a boy. Avery, I think, wasn't allowed to say that on the film because his mother wouldn't wouldn't allow it. Mm-hmm. Jay believes he might be a boy, but he's clearly struggling because even at the end, when they do his final kind of um, his interview with the camera, whatever those are called, the t- the talking heads, um, even then, he kind of says that Jay says there uh, that she or he is is very worried about this coming out um she doesn't doesn't know what's going to happen and it's it's not like a confidence or they say she, you know, i don't know whether to say he or she but we'll say jay says that she hopes it helps another kid in this situation but he doesn't seem doesn't seem confident about it. he doesn't seem comfortable um, this kid started taking hormone blockers when they're when he when she was 12 years old so that she didn't develop breasts. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they start giving her testosterone so that her voice will deepen. Yep, they yeah, start so giving her growth hormones so that she's growth taller. hormones so she'll get taller. Yeah, like they're doing irreparable harm to this child that's not even an adult yet. And you know, it's it's preventing whatever this kid finds out when they become an adult, whether they decide to go forward with this or not, like they've kind of got their course set for them because they've already done the damage Mm -hmm. and he's afraid to tell anyone anything about himself. I mean, to the point where, like I said, whether it's his friend or his girlfriend is not super clear, but they make it seem like it's his girlfriend. They hang out a lot. Um, And, and there's a thing where he's talking to his mom, where it looks like he might have a hickey, think it's his girlfriend like he he's afraid to, to no, tell man. them um and it's 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 honestly really sad because the mom's clearly pushing it. look you have an, a mom who already buys into the whole lgbt thing because she's a lesbian and then and, and clearly buys into that and so she's kind of pushed her kid 
in this direction. And at multiple times, it, I'm not sure that again, that at any point he wants to go back to being a girl, but you're allowing a child to make decisions. A child shouldn't be able to make, look, if you want to let him cut his hair short, fine or dress like a, but like hormone blockers becomes a different thing. And you, you've done a lot of damage to this kid and the kid doesn't smile at any point. And it's, we talked about the depression rate against amongst transgender, especially transgender kids um, is much, much higher than it is in the rest of the population. And Jay's unfortunate example of that. And I wish nothing but good on that kid because no one deserves to, to, to feel that way or to, to want to commit suicide. And I hope, I hope he, he finds what he needs. And I hope he finds God and he gets through it. But you know, he seemed depressed throughout the entire thing for five years they filmed this kid and at no point does he seem to smile well it's interesting that you brought up god because they were going to like the, the college brochures and one of the colleges they he knew about was a christian college and his mom's like nope you're not going there yep says oh well no and then folds it up and gets rid of it yeah. so yeah it's, it's so very like, so obvious you can, decide, that- you can decide that you're a girl but you can't decide what college you go to and when it's all it's very obvious that there's a lack of God in these people's lives that's causing this in the first place. And that was a perfect, that was almost, you could almost make that clip and sum up the whole documentary. Cause I'd actually forgotten about that until you mentioned, but that, that clip is a perfect example of what that family was is, Oh, an influence that could be positive for you. Like, no, like yeah. no God, because our beliefs are so secular that we cannot allow that. And, you know, it's again, of all of the kids in the documentary, I don't know if I feel worse for Avery or Jay. Avery is being paraded out by his mom like a like a show pony, which is horrible. But Jay seems the most genuinely depressed at all times. Yeah. Avery looks like he kind of goes about his life as a boy at all times, unless he's paraded around, um, which is still horrible. Mm-hmm. But looks like most of the time he can kind of just do his thing and play Xbox, which is kind of what they showed. Jay just what's, seems what's constantly funny? upset and depressed. Oh, sorry. Um... What's no, interesting is that Phoenix, Avery, and, and Jay, they're all acting like they're their actual sex. At at there's no there's like so like for Jay, you never get a sense that he's a girl or he, that he's a boy. Sorry. No, other than the fact that he that that he or that she um cuts her hair. Yeah. And it's like, it's and like the, way, the way that she sits and just carries herself looks like a like a girl Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. other than other than you know physical stuff you would get no impression that she's a boy yeah even with like the hormones and all that type of stuff the face is still very feminine and the voice is feminine up until the very very end and even at the end it's still relatively feminine voice yeah it Um, sounds like a woman trying to have a deep voice and it's, you're right. And they carry themselves as their own gender. And which is interesting, I guess, to transition to the last one is Lena, who's the oldest of the bunch and probably the only one that breaks some of the kind of um, generalizations, I would say that we've said. Lena carries himself, herself as, um, I'll refer to her as girl for this, for the make, sake of making it easy because Lena is a boy transitioning to a girl. Uh, when she first appears on the, on the documentary, she's 14 years old mm-hmm. and Lena seems to carry 
themselves herself more like a girl than a, than a boy, but she's also the most developed in terms of mentally and is still not developed enough to make that decision for themselves, no. but the most mentally developed because you were a teenager yeah. yeah, old enough to know what a girl does and to fake being a girl. Um, and, but Lena still sadly seems like her smile is painted on. Uh, so Lena wants to be, Lena's an interesting one. Lena wants to be a model, a Victoria's secret model specifically. I think the first time they show Lena is bikini shopping with her father, who is, as Mike mentioned previously, if you saw the guy, you'd think alpha male. He looks like he works out. He looks pretty good, pretty big. Um, but then you listen to him talk and I don't mean the sound or timbre of his voice. I mean, the weak tone in which he kind of relegates himself to the back corner of raising his son. He just kind of, well, Lena's mom, my ex-wife and Lena decided that she's a girl, so I'm going to do it. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to drive her to get bikinis and, and to, and, and to tuck his penis into a bikini bottom and, um, drive him to dates with his boyfriend. And, you know, it's Lena's father is the perfect example of a beta male. Mm-hmm. He has, he, he doesn't step up. He's not a father. None of the fathers in this film are remotely fatherly material. None of them step up and defend their children and the way they should. And so Lena, you first see shopping for a bikini. Um, you find Lena's also taking hormone blockers. Um, at a very early age, starts at 14. So starts later than Jay, but mm-hmm. still starts taking hormone blockers and taking estrogen. Um, and Lena wants to be a model. Um, I'll kind of hit the highlights. Lena has a boyfriend that knows that she's trans uh, that later on breaks up with her. It seems because she was he was dating her as a cover for his own sexuality, it sounded like. They, they weren't really clear about why, yeah. but he was never, he never really cared about her. It sounds like, um, and again, I don't wish anybody to be hurt or be sad, but it's not that surprising to imagine that a 14 year old teenage boy on the wrestling team would not want to date. A, I, I don't know if he was, it, they, it wasn't clear if it was to cover up that he was gay or it sounded more like he wasn't sure of himself with girls so this was an easier start like i'll start with the girl that's not really a girl so there's nothing like i don't have to risk anything sexual because you're a boy um and then when i'm more confident with a real girl i'll go date a real girl that's what it sounded like. but then, again it's not super clear um but gets dumped it is sad but again it didn't seem all that lena doesn't seem all that invested in anything um wants to be a model gets a modeling gig for swimsuit and then has to tell that the, the designer that um, she's actually a boy and then loses the model, losing, loses the modeling job. Lena ultimately, and she was like surprised that she lost it. Yeah. And, and says, you know, there's still a lot of prejudice says there's prejudice in the area because of a lot of, you know, conservatives and Christians around where she lives got nothing to do with the fact that you were supposed to be wearing a, a, a bikini bottom. Um, and probably have a noticeable bulge. Um, the, you know, there, there are things about the male anatomy that are hard to hide in, in tight fitting underwear. Mm-hmm. Um, and so probably has something to do with that, uh, less to do with bigotry. And 
then Lena want, Lena really heavily wants to get, she is the only one that gets, a, gets surgery, gets yeah. sex reassignment surgery. Well, she does it at 19. So does it at 19 years old. Really so care. has, has the right to do it, but is actively looking for doctors well before that with her parents. And again, at no point does her, her dad like weekly tries to talk her out of it at one point, but it's more mostly like, well, are you sure? There's no real adamant like thought behind it. But again, at no point in time does Lena seem really truly happy. No. With anything. Hate it on smiles. It just, it seems like a 14 year old faking, you know, through, it seems like a teenager faking happiness and maybe I'm wrong, but that's what it seemed like to me. And at and no point, you know, if there's one thing that this documentary showed that it probably didn't intend to was yeah, this, this the, was supposed to be positive for, yeah, um, it's supposed to be very positive transgender, people. you know, expose. I think if anything, it showed that transgender children are deeply disturbed and highly and depressed and, and need suffering. counseling. Yeah. If the the documentary honestly did a better job of of being anti-trans children than being positive. The only thing it did that was positive was saying, "Hey, you shouldn't you shouldn't, you know, beat these kids up at school and they shouldn't be vilified." But it did not show as like, "Oh, you should let your kid be trans." It was very clear. Like Phoenix's mom even came out and said, "Like, this was a mistake. I should never have done this." And was the only I'm actually shocked that they they put that on film, to be honest with you, I am because too. it was it was very anti the message. It was stunning that that was was allowed to be I, I'm stunned that that was put by the producers of the film, but it was. And honestly, that was the kind of the under you know, the overarching message of the whole plot to me was that these kids need help, not that these kids should be allowed to transition. Yeah, exactly. The thing that, um, going back to Lena, the thing that struck me as odd um, with her father is when I, if I have a daughter, um, I, don't, I don't have any kids yet. Um, if I have a daughter, I'm never letting my daughter dress that way at 14, 15, 16, 17. Then at 18, you can do whatever you want. Um, but like, she was hypersexualized. It's like, all right, you're a girl. Okay, we're going to go all out as much as possible. And I mean, my fiance and I, I talked about this. Like, there's something wrong with having that child dress up as a woman. Um, that's one that, that's another thing that I, I noticed is like, and even with the other, um, other, um, uh, like with Phoenix and Avery, like it was, it seemed, over the top with like pink and purple and all this type of things. Yeah. With the, with the younger ones, it definitely seemed over the top, like pushing it. Like we have to be very, very, very feminine to prove that you're a girl Um, with Lena. You're right. I didn't, I guess I didn't give it as much thought as maybe it deserved, but Lena was highly over, over sexualized and it was, you know, um, bare midriff type clothes and uh, tight fitting clothes, things that you're right. Like if I have a daughter later on, I have a son right now. And if I, if I had another kid and it was a daughter, I wouldn't let my daughter dress that way. Yeah. I was a 14 year old girl. Yeah. Um, and like full makeup. And like my fiance said, and she's a, she's a lady that we're not doing that. Our daughter's not dressing that way. No, it's in, it, and, and there's a time to be a child. And there's a time to be an adult. 
and makeup is an adult thing. And, and even, I mean, like I said, even the tight fitting clothes and, and I could almost understand like, okay, maybe more makeup because trying to sell the whole, I'm a girl thing, but that doesn't explain why you're letting her dress very, very sexually for a teenage girl. Yeah. Oh, but yeah, overall, this, uh, I think this movie did the complete opposite of what it was trying to do, as you said, Jeff. Um, I think my hope is because my hope is that more people who are, who are, will be fine with their kids being transgender and trans- transitioning watch this and see the pain in the in their in their eyes and don't allow it to happen um yeah like i said this was a very drainy movie for me um i i i i mean like if you're one of the people who believes that your child should tell you their gender themselves watch this movie and i think you'll come away with a different opinion because i do not believe that this came that you came away from this film feeling like a child is ready to make that decision because again, I don't believe anyone is right in making that decision. I believe that you need to get help and you would find, I, I don't believe God makes mistakes and makes you a boy when you were meant to be a girl and things like that. But you know what, if you're an adult and you feel that way and it makes you feel better then go for it. I don't think, I think the evidence is out there that in most cases you will be more depressed after the fact than you are beforehand. But as an adult, I'm not going to get in the middle of your life if you don't get in the middle of mine. But if you have any belief that your child should be telling you their gender, this movie should take that away from you. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about something that's more uplifting, less draining, more fun. Let's talk about our comic of the, of the week. Yeah. So there's a uh, comic book series, Superman, Batman. Um, There's actually a few of them now, Um, but what I love about Superman, Batman, the series is like they'll it will take like four or five comic comics and like tell a story. Like there wasn't a overall story; it was just like mini stories throughout. Yeah, it was so constant. Actually, it was a bunch of constant mini arcs. Yeah, which I I love with with I love in this in this um, style. Um, but this one was Superman, Batman, and then the I guess the mini series was called Absolute Power, and this was actually the the third mini series. Um, in this in this comic book series and this was um, superman batman just to give everybody this was because there is a newer volume out again this one is the one i think the, I the think volume the newer that came one out is, in 2016 or 2010 yeah. excuse me i think the newer one is batman superman technically it is technically batman superman yeah. yes but this one is superman batman from 2010 and the issues we were we will be talking about are issues 14 through 18 mm-hmm. um so like i said we started with the, the third miniseries um so the, the other two, um, Public Enemies and Apocalypse, those are actually made into movies. So I think we're, we're going to save those. So when we can do a, a comic versus movies um, one, which I think those are those movies were actually pretty accurate to the comic. Yeah, Public Enemies is probably one of my all-time favorite DC animated movies because mm-hmm. it's very accurate to the comic. Yeah, and that story was amazing. Um, but going back to, to this absolute power, so the, the idea is that you know, with with Superman, he crash lands in um, Kansas, and with Batman, or with 
Bruce Wayne, he becomes Batman, you know, when his his, pam- his family is taken from him at age of nine, is it? Nine, seven? Uh, As his child, whatever. Doesn't matter. But that's seven, I, but I don't remember off the top of my head now. Yeah. Um, so what happens is people from the feature come and like readjust the timeline. So, you know, when Superman lands in Kansas, um, the kids are, are killed off and he gets taken as a baby. And then when Bat, or sorry, I'll call him Bruce right now. When Bruce's family gets killed, what happens is they come in, they, they like rip the bullets out of the, out the family and put it into the killer. So Bruce still becomes Batman, but he's, he grows up um, under like the, they're from the 31st century? The 31st Legion. century, correct. Yeah, uh, Legion. And they're, they're raised to still become Superman and Batman. But they no longer stand for truth, justice. But they actually become the world's richest men because um, you know their family is still in the future, so they're, it's easy for them to manipulate the stock market. Um, and then um, they're also like the world leaders. They're like the they're they're these fascists, um, and they're just ruling the 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 whole world. Um, and what's also interesting is. The other superheroes are like killed off or never happen to make sure that there's no one to oppose them. But what happens is, for some reason, they don't take Wonder Woman. Um, I'm not sure why they didn't do that. Um, Probably my assumption. I they don't really say why. This was the assumption I had reading it. I read this a long time ago and read it again. My assumption is that because without Wonder Woman coming to the world of men, there, there, like. I don't know how you would find Themyscira. It's still shrouded by magic. So maybe even coming from the 31st century, maybe they still don't know how to find Themyscira. Okay. That's the only way I can, they don't really explain it. The only other reason would be maybe you don't think Wonder Woman's a threat, but I don't see how you would think that. Yeah. Yeah. So my assumption, I think it was stupid that they didn't do it. Um, But my assumption was, and there's a lot of, um, stories where it's not about um, Steve Trevor, but like it's like the world is like ending, and that's why she comes out of hiding. Um, so I guess with Superman and Batman being able to keep the world safe, or that she does, she never has a reason to, to come out, uh, uh, leave from Thermosera. That was my assumption because um, that was right around the time of the Justice League animated show. Yeah, um, like I said, they don't really explain why. So you can kind of make it up for whatever you think, but either way, it was stupid. Either way, they didn't they didn't take out Wonder Woman, who of all of the of all of the heroes is the biggest threat. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so they they, they take her out, uh, or they don't take her out, and she gets word from like the the, the mystics, you know, because they have magic that this this timeline isn't what it should be. And yeah, that, the fates I think are the ones who tell yeah, her. the fates, and that Batman Superman are kind of the root cause of it. So she goes in and attacks him. Um, but before she does, she goes and grabs uh, Uncle Sam. So Uncle Sam, um, I love this character. Um, so where she finds him, like he's like in the subway as like an old um, beggar or whatever. She like wraps the last little truth around him. And she's like, what's your name? Like, who are you? And like with him like declaring who he, uh, he is, he actually becomes Uncle Sam. Um, I kind of said it badly. Maybe you want to, maybe you want to describe a little bit better, Jeff. 
No, there's not much. I mean, yeah, he, as soon as it's like, he remembers because the lasso of truth forces him to tell the truth and he remembers who he is and he kind of books up and he becomes uncle Sam the way you would picture him for the comics. Um, which it, it was kind of a cool reveal. And uncle Sam is the perfect partner for wonder woman to take down a fascist version of Superman and Batman. And this is real fascism, not the, as we've constantly talked about on the show, what fascism actually, like this is true fascism. Like you cannot rebel against the, the order of these two uh, super, you know, these two giants of men. Um, So the perfect person to take that down is uncle Sam, the embodiment of the American spirit. Mm -hmm. It was kind of cool. Yeah. So anyway, they, they get together, they grab a few other um, heroes and they go um, to like the time machine to try to like reverse things back. But one of the people that they grab is like nuclear man. And as they're starting the time machine, um, Superman decides to, to kill him um, and like that. So let me, let me jump in one sec yeah. with something else about Uncle Sam. To go into this fight, they go and find the body of... Um, not Abin Hal Jordan, Sir. but the Green Lantern that... Um, Is it Abin Sir, right? Abin Sir, thank you. I, I couldn't remember his name. Uh, they go and find the body of Abin Sir, and Uncle Sam takes the lantern ring. Mm-hmm. And when he's fighting against Superman and stuff, he said it's powered by will, and his will is the strongest because it's the will of the people. Mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty cool. So I just wanted to throw it out there. Um, so it's not a big deal, but he's fighting not just as Uncle Sam. He's got the Green Lantern ring, and he's powering it with the will of the people, which is pretty sweet. But then Superman beats it by saying, well, you're a fool because the people bow to me <laughs> and breaks his will, uh, which is also pretty cool. So anyway, yeah. go on. Well, he actually didn't break it then. He broke it when um, Batman gets stabbed. Oh, That's you're right. Actually, it. it's when Superman gets pissed because they, they've stabbed Batman. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then uh, Batman gets stabbed and they go into the time machine. Nuclear Man explodes. So like the time machine and like the nuclear energy like mixed together and like the timelines kind of start to converge. And so what happens is every time either Batman or Superman dies, they jump into a different timeline. Um, so I want, should we get into detail all the different timelines? Maybe that, maybe we shouldn't do that. Maybe just jump to the last one. Um, we can give a couple quick highlights. Go for it. Okay. So the the first one was it the Planet of the Apes one? Yeah, it's a yeah, it's a Planet of the Apes or animals because it's not just apes. There's like talking lions, uh, like uh, tigers and stuff. Right. That's true. Um, and so it's like kind of like a Planet of the Apes, and you've also got then you've got like Metron and um, I won't get into all of them, but then you've got what they go to what Jonah Hex. Yeah. So they go, then, it's like, so now one's like the future, but they're still using like, but well, they're still like cowboys and Indians. Yeah. And then ultimately you have dark side show up with Metron and the Superman. I believe it's supposed to be the Superman from, from Kingdom, uh, Come. Kingdom Come is mm-hmm. what it looks like. I don't think they actually say that, but that's they the don't. that's the costume he's in. Yeah, but even with the um the first planet, I think that's from like why the last man on earth. I think that's from that series. Oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Because mm-hmm. yeah, it's so yeah, it's the Kingdom Come Superman and Dark Side show up, and then um, now I guess we can jump to the 
to the last one, but I thought it was cool that they brought in Kingdom Come. Yeah. So I think it was actually like the timelines, like mixing later, like jumping through different timelines, mm-hmm. trying to get, trying to like get back to like the, the correct one for them, for their Earth. So maybe maybe that's what it was. They were like jump to different Earth timelines. I think it, maybe again, it's not super clear. This is a really cool story, but there are a lot of loose ends with it. Loose ends, or it's like you just use your imagination. Just yeah, it's, just, it's not the most crisply written thing. It was clearly written mostly to be like, this is just fun. Don't think too much into it. Yeah. Um, but they're ultimately trying to get back to their timeline when their right. parents, quote unquote, parents from the 31st century kind of like saved them. Yeah. Correct. So this this last timeline, um, so they the timeline before they they figure things out and they they go and they stop um, their parents from killing the Kents, but um, they're in Crime Alley trying to stop, or they're in Crime Alley there to allow Bruce's parents to die, and Bruce's Bruce jumps in at the last second to. Um, to stop the stop the dude and actually shoot him, actually kills him too. Um, so then Superman's life goes on as normal, but Bruce Wayne stays with Bruce Wayne. He never becomes Batman. So he just grows up with his parents living as a, a billionaire uh, playboy. And what's interesting is when you have Superman there, but no Batman, it still goes to crap. And whereas a uh, race takes over the world essentially and becomes the fascist. Um, the reason being is like the, the people from the 31st century actually came to support them, support him instead of um, Batman, Superman. But I just, I just, I just love the idea that you need Batman and you need Superman. You can't do it with just one. Like, yeah. It's I a little bit, it's kind of that. You need the darkness and the light type thing. Exactly. And this, this is actually just why I love this this series, this comic comic book series in general. This one and and Batman Superman is like they're like the perfect balance of each other. They're they're like yin and yang, um, and they're they're both needed to to keep this world safe. Yeah, I think as a series overall, this is probably one of my favorite comic series. Both the new iteration that's currently going on, mm-hmm. and and this older iteration, because it's. It also shows a really cool, unique relationship between Superman and Batman that you don't see in a lot of other stuff where like it gets alluded to loosely in Justice League and stuff like that, that they like that they have a camaraderie and a brotherhood closer than the rest of the Justice League. But you don't really get good detail on that, Mm -hmm. but you get it in these where they have an understanding and a a relationship that is much closer than the rest of the Justice League and a, a trust that's much deeper. So I like that as a series. But Absolute Power specifically, I thought was really interesting because it showed very easily how like the influence of, of Alfred, like they don't really allude to Alfred, but the influence of the Kents on Superman and how important that is and the influence of Alfred on Batman, because that's essentially what you've replaced. Like they, they make it very clear they've replaced the Kents but they don't really talk about the fact that you by they still let the Waynes die. So you're not changing anything about Batman other than the fact that you're forcing him not to be raised by Alfred. So you've taken away the moral compass of both of those characters. And it's very easy to see like Batman kind of still becomes Batman, but it's, I found it funny or interesting that Superman without that compass 
just becomes a dictator. It's almost very much kind of like the red sun Superman. Exactly. Um, he is, he's not, he's not unwilling to kill and a Superman who's not unwilling to kill is nigh unbeatable. Mm-hmm. So, but Superman only really loves one. He like, he loves Batman like his brother. Cause they were raised as brothers, but Batman, it's interesting. Like they make it at first seem like, Oh, well, Batman follows the same path. He's just not, he's just Batman. But he's not, because if you think about it, Batman loses the way that Batman dies, that gets uh, triggers everything that sends them through the timelines is ultimately to me came across as lack of preparation Mm -hmm. because a Batman that's existing as kind of this this all powerful demigod almost where he doesn't have any powers, but he's you know, he's Superman's brother and they rule the world (laughs) and, and, and they do whatever they want but he, so he doesn't have to prepare for anything. Like he, they take out the green arrow early on and stuff like, but like, he's not, Flash. he's not Batman. Stop. He's no. he's not Batman the way that, um, that you think of he's, Batman. He's not, you know, the, he's not he's planning. Not the, he's lacking the detective Bert portion of Batman. Yeah. That's the perfect way. Yeah. He's, he's not a detective. He's just the fighter. Mm-hmm. And he's still, I mean, obviously he's still formidable. He's still Batman but he's not the detective. So he's not prepared when wonder woman shows up, like a Batman now would be prepared even for a villain. He hasn't seen exactly. He has contingencies in place. This Batman doesn't. And it triggers everything because they rely so much on their, again, I'm going to call them their parents. Cause that's what they call them in the comic. They rely heavily on their parents to provide them the Intel and the guidance to do what they need to do. And he's not, Batman doesn't do that. Batman is his own guide. Mm-hmm. And so it was interesting the the, the the change in Superman's character is super apparent. The change in Batman's character, I think is a little more subtle, mm-hmm. but equally as, as, as impactful if you think about it. Oh yeah. I agree 100%. Um, I mean, you, you can see it when he's, when he's fighting Raish. It's like, I have the, um, when he, he, so when he's fighting Raish, he's the, he's the billionaire playboy, but like Superman forces him to remember the other timeline. So he switches back to like detective mode, but his body isn't built to be a warrior. It's built to be lounging around. So even on like on the on that other end, where like he needs both like the he needs like that fire and drive to build his body to be like a lethal force and not just for lounging on the pool around the pool. So like he's trying to fight Rache. He's getting his butt kicked, even though he remembers like all the training and all the moves that he has but that fire isn't there. So, yeah, no, yeah. that's a good, that's another, that's a good point. So I, I really liked it. Um, I really like um, this story overall, absolute power. I don't remember what the next one is after absolute power. I think it's um, the, the one, we, the other one I showed. I'm pretty sure that's the next one. Which was what? Um, it is, of course, the Superman Batman Vengeance. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay, so we'll have to read that one next because um, the Superman Batman stuff is always fun to read. And then, as Mike mentioned, I I really Public Enemies I think is the first one of this run. Yes, the first thing they did, one. and Public Enemies is probably my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, with Public and it's Enemies, got a really good movie that's co- accompanies it. Yes. Public enemies. Um, Luther is president, and he pretty much tricks Superman into um, killing someone 
killing someone on um, live TV, uh, which turns them into criminals. And actually what I'm thinking, I, I, this is a little off topic, but so Superman, Batman, Public Enemies, the movie came out in 2009. I believe this run of the comics started Maybe in 2010. So I wonder if the movie preceded the comic. I can't be right. I could have sworn. Honestly. Oh, yeah. Superman Batman is 2010. And the movie is 2009. Huh. So I wonder if the story had been written and they made a movie for it and it hadn't been released yet, or if they wrote the comic because the movie was successful. Yeah, that could be. Which would explain why the comic and the movie follow so closely together. Yeah. I mean, it's weird because on Wikipedia it says it's based on Superman, Batman, Public Enemies storyline by um, Jeff Lowe, who wrote this series. Which means maybe maybe the comic was already, like the story was written, but it, it, as you know, sometimes when they do comics, they the release date's normally like two months actually after what it actually comes out. Right. The way they date comics, which is, I've never understood that. Anybody who could inform me why that is, Please do. Yeah. Oh, wait, here we go. So if you pull up on a DC Universe, it says Superman Batman 2010 until. But if you look at the actual comic book, it says it was released in 2004. So oh, I have, okay. I have I no why, idea why. I yeah, wonder why it's, it's like that. But yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's actually it even said the first issue is October 2003. Yeah, sorry, the, the issue 14 was um, yep. 2004. Okay. Yep. So, okay. So it is based on a comic, which makes way more sense. Cause I always thought it was, but then I was looking at this. I wonder why it says it's on from 2010 on DC universe yeah. anyway. So it's actually from 2003 or 2004, um, which makes more sense. Yeah. But, it, it might just be confused with the, another series that came out. So they, they've done quite a few. I think they did Superman, Batman twice and then Batman Superman once. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that is why, but yeah, you're right. It, so it released in 03, which makes a lot more sense because mm-hmm. i thought the comic was before the movie but then i was like well the dates start lining up so i don't know <laughs> ha we found a flaw in dc universe that's so, how most nerds we are so what would you give as a rating for uh for absolute power hmm i would say so i would give it a five wow but overall but if you're comparing it just to like the superman series superman batman series i would probably knock it around a three and a half or four so if i'm comparing it to the series overall i'd give it a three mm-hmm. um i like it it is not one of my favorites if i'm just looking at it as a comic to go read a, a quick fun arc i i wouldn't go a five um five to me is is you know we've talked about some of the other comics that are five it's really good but I give it a four um, just because there are some loose plot threads. There are some things that it's, right. it's clearly written to be more fun and less, less crisp and less um, put together. And I don't think that's none of that's a negative, but if I have to, if I have to have a rating system and I'm trying to be consistent, I would personally say a four, um, but it is really, really good. And it is a great read. It's a, I would say it's a recommend um, for the bigger thing to me is whether or not I recommend somebody read it. And I definitely recommend picking up, um this series if you aren't already a subscriber to dc universe it'll actually become what dc universe infinite um in january and um as all of the the tv content moves to hbo max the comic books are going to stay and i highly recommend dc universe and dc universe infinite 
awesome, awesome service. Pick this up, read it. I recommend this series. It is really fun, but I give this specific arc a four out of five. Mm, okay. Yeah. I think comparing it to, to public enemies. So I guess I'm, I'm making a distinction between like the fun um, storylines and like the actual like impactful, meaningful ones, like deeper ones. We need to come up with a more robust grading system. <laughs> we probably should. Like, I think that we need to just like, not to get too involved with it, but we need a great, because I agree with you on a, on terms of just fun. It's probably up there as like a pretty perfect series for fun. But when I'm comparing it to three jokers, it's oh, yeah, hard it's for me to be like, oh, is it as good as three? No, it's not because yeah. three jokers is crisp and well thought out. So mm-hmm. that's where I'm having trouble with a five. So maybe we need a more robust grading system. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think, um, like I said, like like John Wick is an amazing movie, but plot-wise or um, character development-wise, it's not the strongest. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I think we just need, we need something that's more relative because you're right. If I look at it just in terms of fun, I would definitely say it's a five. It deserves to be picked up and read. It's not hard. It won't take you a long time. It's only five issues. It's really fun. Um, and that's again, how most of the, the mini arcs are in this book. Yeah, like Public five. Enemies is also, I think, only like five issues and is super fun. Yeah. And then Superman, Batman Vengeance is seven. So yeah, nothing, nothing that's gonna tie you up a long time. I mean, those are those are pretty short arcs in terms of comic books. And yeah, they're not hard to read. It takes you like 10, 15 minutes to read. So. And the artwork for this is pretty good as well. Yeah, I thought this was beautiful. Yeah, I really, there are a lot of comics that get knocked down for me based on the art style Mm because there are quite a few um, artists out there that just don't, I don't, I don't like the stuff that looks more cartoony. I like the stuff that looks more um, real. Yeah. It's just more the style of art I get into. Uh, This one has a good, it's kind of a good mix between both. It feels cartoonish, but not overly so. It's it's like, um, so like, this is the style that they use for the movie and it, it works perfectly for that. Yeah. It's not as it's not as realistic as like a say again a, a Jason Fabok style from like Three Jokers, which has got a lot of realism, mm-hmm. um, but it's not as cartoony as like a a really easy example like a Teen Titans Go. Yeah, there you go. That's a good one. That's a good way of putting it. Like and the, and so I, I think it's it's somewhere in the mix. It's it's a it fits with the aesthetic of what you're trying to go for in the story. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, so should we decide which one we're going to read um, next week? I vote we do uh, Vengeance next week. Okay. And then, Mike, have you gotten Joker Killer Smile yet? I think I did. Yeah, I think I think I got it because it was a, in a trade format. Okay. But it's, then, it's in Michigan. That's fine. So let's do... Um, let's do some more DC universe stuff. Cause we've got a lot at our fingertips, but let's also, yeah, we're also we going to um, filter um, in some black label stuff. I think and when we get a chance. Yeah. So we can do black label. If I have the question with me, um, we're going to do black label later. Um, we also should start doing other uh, heroes like flash and green lantern. Um, I think those would be interesting too. It will. Like I agree. Flash with that. Rebirth. Um, also the green lanterns, the phantom lantern. I think that'll be a good one because it also also covers um, Simon and Jessica, so it'll be newer. I am story. okay with I'm okay with either of those actually. Instead of doing Superman Batman next next week, let's do one of them. Cool. Let's, so do you want to uh, do Rebirth or Green Lanterns? Let's do Green Lanterns. 
All right. Why not? Then we'll do which one are we doing? We're doing the Phantom Lantern. Yeah, Green Lanterns, Phantom Lantern. Um, so Green Lanterns, uh, it follows um, Simon Bass and Jessica Cruz. So those are like the newest Green Lanterns. Um, they had a series from 2016 to 2018 with 50 books, 50 or 60 books. Um, so this is like, a, I think their second story arc in that series. Yeah. So we will do that next time. I, I like that. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I would like to start, let's, we'll start filtering in some black label. I need to still get my hands on question. Um, I've only been able to get the first issue. The others were, were sold out when I went back. We're also going to bring out Last Ronin when they finish that series off, which is a complete divergence. It's a TMNT series because I did manage to get TM, uh, Ronin, Last Ronin number one. Oh, nice. um, I've got Superman um, year one as well. I did get the other two issues of that. So uh, we can do that soon, um, which will be fun because I am positive I will hate it. I, for everyone's knowledge, Superman year one is a Frank Miller story. And I have come to the conclusion over years of reading comic books that Frank Miller is awful. (laughs) He hasn't written anything good of main of existing characters that are not his own. Uh, I will put that caveat out there because he writes a lot of good stuff of his own. He hasn't written anything good since Dark Knight Returns. And that was only good because it was unique at the time. Dark Knight Strikes Back was garbage. Dark Knight Master Race was garbage. Uh, Batman and or, uh, All-Star Batman and Robin the Boy Wonder was garbage. Oh, I forgot um, he did that. <laughs> like Frank Miller is a terrible Batman writer and I can only assume an equally bad Superman writer. So he did That's year one. I only, I only bought it to do this review because I am pretty sure I'm going to hate it. So I want to do that one soon too. Okay, yeah, that works. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Um, we will be back same time, same bat station next week. And, you know, we really appreciate everyone joining us on this show every week and listening to us. Please follow us on, uh, Twitter at underscore at fight underscore the underscore left underscore, um, Mike and Jeff fighting leftists. You can also email us at Mike and Jeff dot uh, at gmail.com that is m-y-k-e and jeff at gmail.com and you can follow us on youtube at the mike and jeff fighting leftist youtube page please find us wherever podcasts are at and spread the word to your friends thanks for listening thanks guys